me a little bit. Even you are. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. The Sacramento City Council will please come to order. Would the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Thank you. Councilmember Kaplan? Here. Councilmember Lalowie? Here. Councilmember Talamantes? Here. Councilmember Valenzuela? Here. Councilmember Maple? Here. Vice Mayor Gatta? Here. Councilmember Jennings? Here. Mayor Pro Tem Vang? Here. And Mayor Steinberg? Here. Um, good evening. Councilmember Valenzuela, would you please lead us in the land acknowledgement and the Pledge of Allegiance? Yes, please rise for the opening acknowledgments in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Putwin Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. And now please salute and pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay. Um, before we get to um, the special presentation, let us um, turn it over to the city attorney for a, any closed session report. Madam city attorney? Uh, there's nothing to report at this time, Mayor. Thank you. Okay, thank you for that report. Okay. Now let's do the special presentation. Um, recognizing NP3, NP3 Elementary School as a distinguished school, and I'm turning that over to Councilmember Lisa Kaplan. Look at, they're all here. All right, you guys, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> Um, good evening, everyone. So this is basically full circle for me and something I am honored to present as uh, my first action as a city councilwoman. As you know, I spent 20 years as a Natoma school board member and had the opportunity as a board member to authorize MP3 High School coming to Natomas Unified, then authorizing the expansion to the middle school and several years ago expansion to an elementary school. And so tonight I am excited to present um, to MP3 Elementary, Natomas Pacific Pathway Prep, which is an independent charter that we do in conjunction with the University of Pacific and McGeorge School of Law, of which I am a proud alumni. But the intent is engagement in public service as well as ultimately how do we expand um, representation in our legal field that looks like Sacramento. Um, and I am proud of all the work that MP3 is doing towards that as well as their students and their academics. And that's why this year, in early January 2023, the Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurman, through a program that was created in 1985, the California uh, Distinguished Schools Program recognized MP3 Elementary as one of its 357 uh, distinguished schools this year in Sacramento County. There were seven recognized. In the city of Sacramento, only two. 
and MP3 Elementary was one of those to recognize. And I would be remiss because during the pandemic, a lot was um, not celebrated, but MP3 Middle and MP3 High School are also recognized as California Distinguished Schools. Just so you know, um, what a Distinguished School program is, is the California uh, recognizes it as in a, schools that dem demonstrate exemplary achievements. Is, uh, elementary schools are recognized of the hard work that they contribute towards students' education and their dedication, the resilience that they were shown both by educators, families, staff, and students doing these years of the pandemic, as well as their progress in closing the achievement gap and making sure that their parents are part of the community. So it is truly my honor to one recognized, just recently retired, founding uh, member and executive director, Tom Rutten, new executive director, Sharon Massini, and thank you, Principal Marcy Dart, uh, for being here, who is the principal of the elementary school. I will welcome you to the podium to say a couple words before we recognize you. Sorry. I'm I'm really nervous. You're all like really powerful and stuff. So. Um, and like the whole staff's here. <laughs> okay. Um, just wanted to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to recognize our school. It's a really big deal for us um, and wanted to share my gratitude to, um, on behalf of our school, to some people who helped make it happen. Um, Council Member Kaplan, thank you for your years of service with the NUSD Board and for working with NP3 schools to authorize our charters and make NP3 Elementary a reality. An acknowledgement like this means the world to our learning community and we know Natomas. Um, thank you to our past and present executive directors, Tom Rutten and Sharon Machini. Thank you for leading our NP3 schools. You've both put so much time and effort into our NP3 vision. The team appreciates all you have done and what you continue to do. And it is a great honor to join our sister schools, our middle and high school as California Distinguished School. Um, to our administrative team at NP3 and our NP3 board, thank you for collaborating with the elementary school and supporting the staff and families. A special shout out, sorry, get a little emotional here, <laughs> to Allison Baker for your ability to organize big ideas. It's led to great success for many people. Um, to our NP3 community of students and families, thank you for your continued support and confidence in the school. It's been a tough few years for you and your students. Your resilience has been inspirational. Um, and above all, thank you to the staff. On behalf of MP3 schools, I'd love to take this opportunity to acknowledge and thank the staff, the current staff, and any previous staff members from NP3 Elementary School. What you've been able to accomplish during these unprecedented times is astounding. Your dedication to our students and your deep love of learning has created a safe learning environment where students feel confident about thriving and achieving. We are so lucky you're part of our team and we are so lucky to be in Sacramento. Thank you so much. We've got, I do have a, a, a couple of other members that wanted, wanted to speak here. You know, let's... Uh, let, let, let these great educators take it all in here. Uh, <laughs> Councilmember Talamantes. NP3, congratulations. So excited for you. Um, I had the opportunity of working with many of you during the COVID-19 vaccination clinic. 
that we ran for seven months every single Thursday. And I see some of you, but I can only see the eyes. I'm trying to like, okay, I know I work with some of you and I'm, now I can see your full face. Because <laughs> during that time, I mean, we were double masked and running around a parking lot for 10 hours on end. And so just wanna say just congratulations on the award and thank you for all your hard work during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was an honor to work with you. Wonderful. Councilmember Lalowy. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, absolutely, mega congratulations to all of you. Um, I do have a beef with you guys though, just FYI. Um, my, my children's names are still on the list. Uh, and then um, when, when, when I had my uh, CFO who put his name, uh, his children's names on the list after mine and they both got in, I had a hard time signing that resolution. But uh, all kidding aside, um, um, everything I've heard has been nothing but phenomenal and fantastic. And it, it's such an honor to have establishment like yours in our, in our city that can get ranking the way you have. And it, it's all going to what you guys are preparing for the future of not only our city state, but also our country. And I'm grateful to you guys that you're focusing on the kids and you're focusing on what the next chapter for these wonderful, bright individuals is gonna be. So thank you so much, appreciate you all. Thank you. Councilmember Jennings. Thank you so much, Mayor. Um, I just want to kind of pour on my love to each one of you for the work that you do every single day, uh, the impact that you make in the community uh, with our kids, the next leaders that we want to sit in these seats and in the seats that you occupy right now. Uh, everything that you do is preparing them for their next step in life, and you are preparing great leaders, and I just want to thank you for this distinguished honor that you've received here tonight. So thank you for your hard work. I remember every name of every one of my elementary school teachers. That's how special my elementary school was in the Bay Area back in several decades ago. In the 2000s. In, in the 2000s. And um, to get this recognition for NP3 says to me that the children you are educating 50 years from now are going to remember you and are going to remember your great school. Congratulations. Really proud of you. Really, really proud. Here we go. Picture time. there. As always, there's three people taking a picture. One, two, smile. There you go. Yeah, got it. Thank you, Ryan. 
the house you built. I will. Well, give me a number so I can reach you. Congratulations, y'all. Oh, yeah. yeah. Linda. One more? We'll take just a minute. Uh, you look way too young. failure. Come on. It is a requirement when you receive a resolution that you have to stay for the rest of the city council meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, members, um, I'd like to uh, propose how we handle uh, tonight's agenda without objection. Um, I would like us, please, to take up items 1 through 12 of the consent calendar. Uh, and then take up item 15 under the discussion ca calendar and come back to item 13. Um, Mr. City Manager, do you want to say something now or we can wait? No, we can wait. I just... Uh, we, we can wait. Based on all the uh, comments based we've Based on all the, the public interest in yeah. consent item 13, I think um, I want to make sure that we leave enough time. And I think item 15, uh, while uh, really, really important, will be a robust discussion, may not be as long so if we do it that way is there any anybody who wants any of items 1 through 12 to be discussed separately and or voted on separately I see mayor pro tem uh, on that mayor pro tem thing uh, not, on the item, not on the items in particular I just had questions about um, item 14 that's being continued I had a question for city staff Oh, okay. Well, well, we'll maybe we'll after the consent after yep, we do one through twelve, we'll we'll tell the public the posture of item fourteen at this point. Okay. <clears throat> Very good. Okay. There's no uh, buddy wants a separate vote on uh, any of those items. Madam Clerk, uh, I hope that the callers distinguish items one through twelve from thirteen, so that we take the public testimony now. It's one through twelve. Thank you, Mayor. I do want to remind members of the public, if you'd like to speak on items 1 through 12, if you are online, please raise your hand. And if you are in council chambers, fill out a speaker slip. I do have one speaker on item 2. Um, and then if you're online and you're not speaking on 1 through 12, please lower your hand. So the first speaker in chambers is Marbea Sala. Evening, Mayor and Council Members. Um, first, I want to—I know—I want to congratulate you on your diverse uh, Councilwomen uh, Talamanches on your diverse appointments of all your commissions. You're going to serve—we're going to serve our community well. So, anyway, but that's not what I'm here. I'm here to ask you to remove consent item number two, and that is—and the reason for that—and um, I spoke to members of of our community. I represent, I'm the president of GNNA and represent um, Gardenland Northgate, but it expands out to parts of Truxel. And um, from the feedback I received is that item received, um, went out and the city did community engagement with the community like over five years ago. And there was a lot of objection and concerns with the bridge, the Truxel bridge that's being proposed 
the community has stated it's not an engineering project and that it really needs more um, thoughtful engagement with the community. They thought it, to be honest with you, that it went away because they never heard anything back over five years ago and now it's being approved and they're asking that it go back to staff, there be further analy analysis and more importantly, in depth and, and uh, a good community engagement and listen to what the community is asking for and stating. That's it, thank you. Thank you, our next speaker is Betsy um, Weiland. Yes, good evening, City Council. Um, my name is Betsy Weiland, and I'm here representing Save the American River Association. And of course, as you know, we have members in our organization from all over um, the region, as well as we, we do a lot of work within Sacramento, especially we have a great partnership with Friends of Sutter's Landing um, Fossil and um, have adopted for many years that area of the parkway and the park itself, frankly. So I just want to ask you the same thing that the previous speaker did, which is to please remove this from the consent calendar. Do not adopt it. Go back to the drawing board. And I'm asking you because, just very simply, because of the importance of where this bridge is located. It's crossing the American River, and it is in an area of the parkway which has very valuable, rare riparian habitat and five acres of that riparian habitat in that area will be taken out. I think it's sometimes easy to just talk about things and when it comes time to put words into action and I was thinking of how you started this meeting, honoring and recognizing land acknowledgement and the time the indigenous people spent on this land before we came. This area of the parkway, the, the indigenous people inhabited the river and this area of the parkway for thousands of years. There are significant cultural elements to this area of the parkway. This is an area of the parkway where the indigenous people for many, many years came up both rivers, the Sacramento and the American and gathered for their big times. So please, please, don't Thank just Thank you for your comments, your time is complete. Thank, Thank you, you for your comments. I sincerely Thank appreciate it. Thank you for your comments. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the time. Our speaker is Carissa Gutierrez on items one through 12. So Carissa, will you let us know what item you're speaking on and then we'll start your timer. Of course, um, if you can hear me, I'm speaking on item four. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Carissa Gutierrez, Executive Director of the Latino Center of Art and Culture. On behalf of our team and board of passionate community leaders, we offer our deep gratitude to Council Member Valenzuela, Assemblymember McCarty, and Dr. Richard Pan for their fearless advocacy on, on our behalf. We are especially thankful to the city staff, specifically the Parks Department and Councilwoman Valenzuela's staff who have worked tirelessly to make this a reality. I simply cannot stress enough how much this means to our communities. LCAC was founded over 50 years ago as La Raza Bookstore and later La Raza Galeria Posada, a convening space that celebrated and explored the beauty and radical joy of our Chicano and Latino communities. We knew even then the power of our people and the importance of having dedicated spaces to celebrate our rich culture. Now with this opportunity to adopt a location that places us back in the heart of our city, we once again have the ability to elevate our shared histories and collectively showcase our artistry. 
We are so thrilled to bring our vibrant stories and cultural practices to a beautiful space and engage residents throughout our city. We have so many plans in the works that maintain artistic excellence and drive home our commitment to uplift the rich diversity of our Latino communities. Uh, with 50 minutes or 50 seconds on the docket, I just want to stress how important this is and how critical it is to our history of Sacramento. Um, we couldn't have done it alone. We certainly look forward to moving in. And we have also been engaging in really wonderful conversations with the Midtown Business Association. This is a big move and a big win for our communities. And we certainly hope to continue to drive the point home that Sacramento as the capital of the fourth largest economy in the, in the world can bring these stories forward and can do so in a dignified and innovative manner. So we're very excited to be reconnected back to the heart of the city. We're very excited to be working alongside many of our sister cities throughout the state and very excited to be moving in as soon as those tenant improvements are made. Thank you once again to everyone. Uh, we're very excited to partner with you. Thank you for your comments. Mary, I have no more speakers on items one through 12. Very good. Uh, Councilmember Talamantes, you know, has a comment on item two. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I just want to thank all the people and organizations that reached out to our office uh, regarding this feasibility study for the Trexel Bridge. I really do look forward to your continued participation in this process. Um, to me, it's vital that we explore possible pathways of connectivity throughout the city and specifically to the over 100,000 people that live north of the river to meet the needs of our growing city. And so I hear concerns regarding pedestrian safety and potential environmental impacts on our community living off of Truxel, and I'll ensure that staff can take this into consideration in the study. And you have my commitment to continue doing that outreach to our community to make sure that all our voices are heard in this, in this feasibility study as we move forward. So to my community, you have my commitment. I'll be there and we'll do this together. Thank you. Is there a motion on the consent calendar items one through 12, please? Second. Second. Moved by Councilmember Jennings, seconded by Councilmember Maple. All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstain. Items one through 12 pass. Um, Councilmember, uh, or excuse me, Mayor Pro Tem Vang, uh, item 14 was continued into February 7th, but you wanted to make a comment on it. Yeah, Mayor, thank you so much. Uh, my understanding is that item 15, uh, the Bruceville Road proposed storefront dispensary was scheduled to be heard today, but uh, was continued. Um, and for our transparency purposes, um, I'd like to just ask a question to city attorney or our planning staff, just to explain to the community why the item was continued. Good evening, Mayor, Council, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Bing. This item uh, is an appeal. Please identify yourself. <laughs> this item was a, is an appeal. The appellant has requested a continuance to February 21st. Under your rules of procedure, that is granted automatically. We will re-notice that hearing, so everyone is provided uh, advance notice. And if any future continuance requests should be made, they would be at the discretion of this council. They're from the appellant. Okay, so even if I wanted to hear the item today, uh, based on our just our policy, the appellant has the right to to do this and to continue the item for a week or so, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Um, and just another question: um, Were all parties informed or notified regarding the continuance? Because we're receiving calls into our office, and I just wanted to make sure that all parties that are involved with this item uh, were aware of the uh, the item being continued. But, but all parties are the applicant and appellant, multiple communications today. Okay, thank you so much, I really appreciate it. And can you introduce yourself as well? All right, <laughs> Kevin Collin with the Community Development Department, I'm the Zoning Administrator. Awesome, thank the you. The record. 
So thank you, sir. You know, <laughs> you're the zoning administrator, a very important person who went to public to know you. That's it, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you so much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that clarity. All right. Uh, Councilmember Vang, the city clerk informs me that just uh, it, it might be good to put on the record here uh, an actual motion to continue to February 7th. To uh, February 21st. Excuse me, to February 21st. Um, February. Can I ask a question why it's the 21st? Just thank you. There we go. For all <laughs> transparency purposes, yes. we're getting a lot of calls on this. Yeah. Yeah, so a uh, part of the consideration is availability on council agendas. Okay. We also would like to, we need to re-notice the hearing. So that is a, from an administrative perspective necessary in terms of time. Okay, so the recommendation is that the item will be heard on what date? February 21st. Okay, I'll make a motion to continue the item to February 21st then. Thank you. Is there public, public testimony tonight on item 14? No, not on the continuance. On the continuance. Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, abstain. Continue to the 21st of February. Thank you. All right. Um, as I stated earlier, let us take up item 15 and then we'll go back to consent item 13. Uh, item 15. Who is presenting on this item? Ms. Rosagueta. Hello. All right, good evening, Mayor Steinberg and members of the City Council, Jorge Seguera, your City Auditor. The recommendation that is before you is to pass a motion approving the language access policy, gap analysis, survey results and recommendations and provide direction to City staff. Both the City Auditor's Office and the City Manager's Office has been tasked by the City Council with evaluating the City's language access services. For the sake of efficiency and not to duplicate efforts, the City Auditor's Office partnered with the City Manager's Office uh, and third-party language service providers, NIMSI, Insight, to review language access best practices, compare it to the City's current practices, survey City employees and community members, and provide recommendations for improvement. NIMSI Insights is a market research and international consulting company that works with language service providers enterprises and government agencies. So what do best practices and guidance recommend when it comes to language access services? While the City of Sacramento may not be required to adhere to much of the guidance referenced in this report, this guidance can be leveraged to assist the City in developing a language access policy and in ensuring robust language access services are available to the community. Federal guidance states that recipients of federal funding have a responsibility to ensure meaningful access to their programs and activities by persons with limited English proficiency, otherwise referred to as LEP. The guidance recommends conducting a four-factor analysis when determining the extent to which to provide language access services, which include the number of LEP persons eligible to be served by the program, the frequency and type of LEP encounters, the relative importance and nature of the benefit of services that the program offers and the resources available for the program in relation to the cost of providing language uh, services. The federal guidance also provides a self-assessment tool for language access planning, which includes understanding how LEP individuals interact with your agency, identifying and assessing LEP communities, training staff and providing notice of language assistance services. There is also 
state of California guidance, which requires state agencies that serve a substantial number of non-English speaking individuals to provide translated materials or bilingual employees in order to facilitate meaningful access to written materials, services, and benefits. The act sets a, sets a threshold for which state agencies which are required to provide language access services to any language group whose non-English speakers comprise 5% or more of the people served by the office or facility of the state agency. Written materials should be distributed when it requires the individual to provide information or when it may affect an individual's rights, duties, or privileges with regard to that agency's services or benefits. We also researched other California cities to see what they included in their language access policies. We identified a number of California cities and counties that had adopted language access policies. We focused on the six listed in this table and conducted more detailed review of their policies. We also reviewed the various language services the city currently has in place. The city offers telephone interpretation services using Language Link. This service is mostly used by the city's 311 and 911 call center agents. For example, a review of the city's 911 call center found that Language Link was used for 5,143 calls between January and August of 2021. That service costs the city approximately $99,000 per year. The city also contracts with another service, Interlingva, for on-site interpretation translation services for meetings, live public events, and TV broadcasts. That service costs the city approximately $99,000 per year as well. The city also offers American Sign Language uh, interpretation services using NorCal services for the deaf and hard of hearing. That service also costs approximately $99,000 per year. The city also offers bilingual incentive pay to employees who provide interpretation translation services. During our review, we found that the city provides the incentive pay to 126 city employees at an estimated annual cost of over $200,000 per year. Most of the employees receive bilingual pay for speaking Spanish. And that um, uh, total for all the services that were mentioned is approximately $500,000 per year. NIMSI Insights conducted a language access survey of community members. The survey was translated into Spanish, Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, and Hmong. Most of the respondents took the survey in English, while 21 took it in Spanish, one in Vietnamese, and one in simplified Chinese. Note that the number of respondents per language is not an accurate reflection of the total responses from LEP individuals, as some that took the survey in English self-identified as LEP. One of the questions that was asked in the survey was whether the respondent was aware that the city of Sacramento offered free translation services and interpretation services. Nearly 56% of those that took the survey in English and 33% of those that took it in Spanish were not aware. Language access guidance for federal and state agencies suggests that the first step in drafting a language uh, policy is to identify the total population of languages spoken by individuals that have limited English proficiency. In our uh, chapter listed as factor one, we uh, go into more detail about this. According to the US Census data, LEP individuals comprise 13% of the total population of the city of Sacramento. 
The U.S. Census data also provides a breakdown of languages spoken at home by city LEP population. The figure shows the language spoken, the percentage of the city's total population, and the number of individuals this represents. As shown in this table, Spanish is the most common non-English language spoken at home for Sacramento residents. We made three recommendations related to establishing and maintaining robust language access capabilities for Spanish-speaking LEP residents, evaluating whether specific department programs serve other LEP individuals, and regularly evaluating the number of uh, and promotion of LEP individuals to assess the sufficiency of the city's language access services. In factor two, which is titled frequency and type of LEP encounters, um, in this chapter we cover uh, federal guidance and this federal guidance states that an agency should also assess the frequency which, uh, with which they have or should have contact with LEP individuals from different language groups seeking assistance. We surveyed city employees to estimate how often they interact with LEP individuals on a monthly basis. Survey results indicate that city departments vary considerably in the volume of LEP interactions they handle per month, ranging from less than 10 to over 200. For example, 100% of the 311 call centers employees who responded to the survey stated they encounter more than 200 LEP individuals per month. 20% of police department and 20% of fire department employees that responded to the survey stated that they come in contact with LEP individuals more than 200 times per month as well. We made three additional recommendations related to the frequency and type of LEP encounters, including providing guidance on whether programs should perform additional outreach to LEP persons, providing guidance on whether programs that interact frequently with LEP individuals should provide meaningful language access services at a broader scale than other departments or programs, and evaluating whether funding for language services is sufficient based on the volume of LEP individuals that interact with city departments or programs. We conducted a survey of LEP community members and the survey results indicate that the city may not be providing interpreters when one would be uh, preferred. While not every situation requires an interpreter, several individual responses raise concerns that interpreters are not being provided in cases where rights, benefits, health, and or safety are involved, specifically those where the police department or 911 did not provide interpreters. Our survey of city employees found that roughly 40% of respondents across departments indicate that English proficiency children or adult family members act as interpreters. Federal guidance states that agencies, agencies should avoid using children, family, or friends as interpreters because it is difficult to ensure that they interpret accurately. Federal guidance states that when a particular language is encountered often, hiring bilingual staff is one of the best options. Our survey of city employees found that many employees turn to bilingual staff as their first resource for interpreter services. Bilingual staff can also be used for translation services, but professional translators should be used for vital or lengthy documents. We made four recommendations related to training staff on language access procedures, providing guidance on how to respond in situations where a minor or family member 
is asked to serve as an interpreter, providing direction on how and when bilingual staff are used and other resources that can be leveraged by the city in ensuring the city's websites are accessible. Factor three, uh, relative importance and nature of benefits or services that the that programs offers. Uh, our survey of LEP community members also indicated that LEP individuals are not always provided with translations in situations where vital information is likely to be conveyed. As Spanish is the most prevalent non-English language spoken by LEP individuals in Sacramento, we recommend translating all vital documents into Spanish and making them available at the same time as the equivalent English language documents. For all other LEP languages, we recommend vital documents be handled in one of the following two ways. Making translations available upon request and, uh, and to provide vital documents to interpreters who can explain the context of the written documents to LEP individuals and assist in filling out any documents that require LEP individuals to provide information. Proactively informing the public about the availability of language access services will help to foster engagement. Our survey found that the city could be more proactive in informing the public about the availability of language access services and or city employees are unaware of what steps they can take to communicate with LEP individuals about their programs and services. Other means of proactively notifying LEP uh, and deaf individuals of the availability of language access services should also be employed. One example of how to overcome hesitancy about requesting language access services is the use of an iSpeak language ID card. King County in Washington has developed an iSpeak toolkit. The toolkit includes an iSpeak card for consumers to bring with them when seeking care, which identifies the language they speak and a know your rights text uh, to inform both consumers and providers regarding the use of interpretive services. We also found that the city's website did not have a complaint form that LEP individuals can file if the city's language services uh, they were provided were not of good quality. This would provide the city with an opportunity to adjust to any shortcomings in the city's language access services. We made four recommendations related to developing guidance for city departments to identify their vital documents that should be translated, training uh, employees on how to determine if an individual is an LEP uh, individual and when to offer language assistance, employing additional means to proactively notify LEP individuals of the ability, availability of language services and developing a mechanism that allows LEP individuals to file a complaint about the city's language access services. Agencies and factor four, um, agencies should consider the most cost-effective means of delivering uh, competent and accurate language services and determine the resources available to assist persons with LEP. Programs should carefully explore the most cost-effective means of delivering competent and accurate language services before limiting services due to resource concerns. Our final two recommendations include considering providing ongoing funding for city language access marketing so that community members are aware of the language access services provided by the city and considering appointing a citywide LEP coordinator 
or a working group to regularly monitor and update the agency's response to LEP needs. A response by the city manager's office is included in the report and responds to all 16 recommendations. Many of the recommendations will be addressed with the development of a language access policy, which the city manager's office is working on. I'd like to thank the city manager's office and the city attorney's office for working closely with us on this project. This concludes my presentation and I'm available to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. City Auditor. Um, I know we do have public testimony and uh, why don't we hear from the public and then I'm gonna turn it over to uh, my colleagues who have been working collaboratively with the city auditor and the city manager's office uh, to help drive um, a great set of po policies to be. Go ahead, how many do we have? Mayor, I have four speakers on item 15. The first is um, Carolina Flores, Marbella Sala, then Clarissa Langard. Lagardia, thank you. Carolina? This is a bilingual statement. You can call me Carolina, the abuela, abuela, uh, mama, y Amiga, estoy aquí para dar la presentación de pedirle que por favor hagan una orden de inmediata legal que va a poner, va a sostener el, un departamento de Language Services Access. Quiero ver una coordinadora o un coordinador que va a ser permanente en parte de cuando dan el uh, the budget, cuando dan su dinero, de que necesita el dinero, debe estar ahí todos los, los años. No es algo particular que están dando, que lo van a hacer una, una vez. Yo tengo 75 años y he esperado que ustedes hagan esta orden permanente y no lo han hecho. Si me muero mañana, yo espero que cada uno de ustedes han perdido la conexión con los hisp hispanos parlantes de esta comunidad. Es muy mal lo que han hecho de negar los servicios. ¿Cuántos dineros ganan de los taxes? ¿Cuántos dineros ganan de donaciones de la gente raza? De que ustedes no dan la proporción de que ellos dan de servicios de la ciudad. Porque niegan siempre de dar los servicios de, de su idioma. Yo no, no estoy hablando de los de español, sino también de los otros idiomas que necesitan esos servicios. Yo pido que ustedes den los servicios, que es de dar los servicios con calidad con gente que van a querer dar servicio de lo mejor posible de Sacramento. Y eso es algo que debe ser una prioridad de ustedes. Es algo que ustedes tienen que darlo. No pueden comentarlo cada dos, tres, cinco años de que van a hacer algo y va a ser una nueva policía. Dispense, yo ya me cansé de eso. Hagan una orden legal, háganlo permanente, pongan coordinador y pongan un departamento, todo un equipo de gente que van a ir a las comunidades. Ustedes están limitando la gente que puede Thank participar cuando la hacen por computadoras. Like to in another language, we'll put another two minutes on your clock. Okay. Please, thank you. What I've recommended is that we do a permanent ordinance, a permanent budget to fund a staff, a department of language services that reports to the city manager, not under any other department, not under HR, not under whatever else is there, but for years, I have been waiting for this language access policy to be made permanent. And every three or four or five years, it comes up again. And the new city council votes it, oh yes, we need it for equity and to provide equal services. And you know what, here we are in this again. 
I mean, when I was on the Latino task force, we took care of this, we gave recommendations, we met with the Black Caucus, and all of this, para que, for what? So I really urge that you do this, make this ordinance permanent, budget it permanently, put a coordinator and put a, a staff that's gonna do the outreach services into the Latino Raza Hispanic community. I want you to, do, to provide that service and it'd be a priority tonight. It'd be a priority that you implement this right away. And I wanna see measurable outcomes. I wanna see a time frame, and I want you to start immediately. I don't want you talking to me, oh, we're gonna do this later on in 23. Oh, we're gonna surely do everything on 24. And by 25, we'll have services for the Spanish language community. Sorry, I'm through with that. Yeah, basta, estoy harta de oír. Quiero ver acciones. Enséñenme lo que van a hacer. No me digan que están de mi lado. Enséñenme qué es lo que van a implementar para dar los servicios de la comunidad. Thank you very much. I wait for your measurable outcomes and your time frame and your budgeting for the permanent ordinance of language services team, coordinator, staff, under the city managers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you and ditto, ditto, ditto. Um, thank you, Carolina. And I had no idea that this has been going on for years and years. And I wasn't going to come and speak to this, but then I saw it was on the agenda. And for those of you that probably know, don't know this, I was the medical interpreting manager at UC Davis for 10 years. And I want to commend you, Jose on the report that you just presented, you touched on all the critical pieces of having an effective interpreting service for those that are limited English, non-English speakers. Um, and when you're a public agency, you have a responsibility to ensure that every member of your community can communicate with you and understand what you offer. Um, at UC Davis, when we I first started, they used children, bilingual staff, no interpreters, and we had to change that because it was a critical importance that everyone that walked through that door could access quality healthcare and they could be understood and, and they could understand what was being provided to them. The, the risk of not providing those services are too big and that city does not, you do not have the luxury to not provide trained, medical interpreters, and if you have bilingual staff that are doing, they should be trained on how to do interpreting. It's not an easy thing. And, you, and translation services should be by professionals. Yes, you can do little things here and there, but it's of critical importance. And my last comment is, whenever the city offers programs in our community, we who are bilingual and live in Northgate Garland have got to go out and have to do that for the Spanish speaker speaking community and communicate with them because it's not simply provided in their language so they can access those opportunities. So I commend you to adopt the policy and commend Jose on a very, very well done Thank you for your comments. Program. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Huh? Jorge. Jorge. Our next speaker is Clarissa Luagardia. Jorge, I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My timer is not up there, so. Um, hello, everybody. I don't come here very often, but I'm so happy to see that Sacramento is well represented on city council. 
um, the race, age, and gender diversity that I see um, really is reassuring. Um, I want to just go ahead and introduce myself first. Um, I was Language Access Manager for the California Complete Count Census Office. Um, I served on the um, Language Accessibility Advisory Committee for the Secretary of State, the County of Sacramento, and I started a grassroots organization called Rethink Language Access. So I'm here in support of uh, adopting a language access ordinance and a policy, but um, I want to ask you to please seek out, but also listen to community input. Um, and I'm not talking about um, showcasing what you're doing or transparency, which transparency, I want these things, but also do listen and do incorporate the feedback that you get from the community. Um, you know, obviously the, the consulting service, they did that survey, but you know, out of like 200,000 people in Sacramento that speak a language other than English at home, 20 or 22 Spanish speakers, or you know, Hmong, Vietnamese, Tagalog, all these different languages, that's just, it was not enough, and more should have been done. Um, I wanna ask you that when you think of thresholds, do think of cities that compare in size to Sacramento, not just cities in California that have a language access policy. Um, so, and when you think of thresholds, uh, don't just think of people that self-reported speaking less than very well. Also people who say that they speak it very well. I have a master's degree. English is my second language. I came here at 18 in Sacramento and I did not speak the language and it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I've been a, an interpreter and translator and I can tell you all around that, that these services are vital uh, for, upward, for social mobility, economic mobility, and for equity in Sacramento. So thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Carissa Gutierrez, then Juan Novello. We have two more speakers. Hi, once again, I am Carissa Gutierrez, and this time I do approach you as a community member. I was born and raised in Sacramento, California to an immigrant mother and immigrant grandparents uh, who still reside on Northgate Boulevard. I've lived on Northgate Boulevard, later South Sac, near 65th Street. These are predominantly Latino spaces where Spanish is openly spoken and heard in businesses, but also are notoriously known for being underserved. I especially remember the potholes, we, which we didn't know we could even report. Uh, collectively, we all share a common mission and vision, which is to best serve the residents of our city and together build a thriving and inclusive community. If the city is truly committed to serving our communities, then moving forward on these recommendations and advocating for an ordinance is a great first step in building trust between the community and its residents, excuse me, the city and its residents. Language has often been a major barrier for community members to report repairs, leverage resources, or even participate in our civic processes. Eliminating this barrier promotes civic engagement, which allows our city officials to work from a stronger place of knowing and service. An ordinance gives community members the means with which to engage our leaders in an effort to promote greater accessibility and opportunity. City officials come and go. Ordinances are permanent. I just want to thank uh, Council Members Vang and Guerra for developing the Language Access Task Force and putting into numbers what many of us already know, that there are many opportunities to better serve our communities. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Juan Novello is the final speaker on this item. Hello, good, uh, good evening. Juan Novello, uh, Vice President for the Sacramento Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Ditto to all the previous speakers and uh, as somebody with an accent, uh, an ESL individual who still translates for his mother, and to a lot of small businesses for across the region, I commend the members of the council, the city staff, and the different shareholders for bringing this item for approval. I also would like to give kudos uh, to the commitment that the city has demonstrated um, in adding translation services to, on the recent contracts related to the uh, pandemic uh, economic relief. 
Um, I thank you all and I encourage you all to approve this measure. Thank you for your comments. Mary, I have no more speakers. Thank you very much. Let's um, now turn it over to the city council. I'm gonna begin with Mayor Pro Tem Mai Vang, then Vice Mayor Eric Guetta. Thanks, Mayor. Um, first, I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank Jorge just really for the thorough audit and just your incredible staff. Um, one, to, to actually take this seriously and add it to your scope of work. Um, that is really uh, important, and I think I just want to be able to just center that because I think for too long, we're in 2023, and we're finally having an audit on really the services in our city, and are we really reaching the communities that need it the most? Um, I also do want to take this time to also thank Amy as well from the city manager's office, who um, also have worked very closely with our city auditor on ensuring um, that this audit happens and working closely with us to make sure that we can get to this moment. Um, you know, last year, um, I actually requested for this audit uh, because I wanted to, one, have a better understanding of what we're doing well and areas of improvement in our own system. Um, and then secondly, really help guide a development process for an equity-focused internal language access policy. Um, and so again, Jorge, I just wanna say thank you for adding this to your scope of work. I know there are so many issues in our city, uh, but this was one of my top priorities when I came into council and really appreciate this council also supporting that scope of work. Um, as many of you know, I think you heard from um, our uh, members in our community, uh, right now we have thousands of Sacramentans um, that do not speak English as their primary language. Um, I think many of us have seen firsthand, especially during the pandemic, how many of our communities uh, weren't able to access government programs or services or even participate in, in uh, COVID delivery uh, services or programs. And then we had to really rely on our CBOs, our front our ground warrior soldiers doing the work to get resources to our community. Um, you know, our goal of being an equitable city does require that we're intentional about how we deliver city programs and services. And most importantly, making sure um, that regardless of your English proficiency or your physical ability, you're actually able to access our services. Um, I do also just wanna give a shout out because I think it's also important to acknowledge the, the great work that has happened in the city. I wanna give a shout out to our community engagement office, a shout out to Lynette. I know she works tirelessly with our city staff um, and with our community partners to, to reach our, our underserved community, folks who don't speak English. But I know that the resources she has right now is not sufficient. And I share that because the reason why I actually asked for the audit a year ago was when I became a councilwoman, numerous staff, city staff actually approached me and asked me to translate flyers into Hmong. Now, while I don't mind doing that, um, for me, it was a red flag, right, about the lack of understanding of the services that we currently do have. And we do actually do have services. I think if you read the audit and you heard from Jorge, about almost half of our staff aren't aware of the city uh, services that we actually provide for our LUP, which is very concerning. And I think there's a lot of work internally we have to do as a city. And so really appreciate that recommendation. Um, the other, you know, concerning, um, um, point that I think Jorge brought up, which I think too often many children of immigrants and refugee uh, has done, is that we're finding that uh, family members and minors are actually doing the interpretation for family, which is incredibly concerning um, and something that we should not allow in this city. Um, you know, as a daughter of Hmong refugee, I have remembered translating for my grandparents or my parents, and especially a minor who may not uh, want to be able to translate issues that are sensitive um, is really, really 
Councilmember Calamantes is nodding her head because she's probably had to do that numerous times as well. And so, you know, the city of Sacramento is overdue um, for a language um, ordinance. As you heard earlier from our city auditor, Long Beach, Oakland, several city uh, in, the, in the state has a language access ordinance, and we, the capital of Sacramento, do not. Um, and so, you know, one of my recommendations, in addition to the recommendation, is ensuring that we actually have an ordinance set in place. As you heard from a community, community members, city managers come and go. City council members and mayor comes and go. But what stays is the community sustaining this work. And it's also really important to make sure that we have an ordinance in place to really set the direction and to also state our commitment um, in terms of language access in the city. And so, Mayor, you know, I would like to make a motion to, one, approve the city auditor's report, um, but with the direction to work with the city manager's office, um, ensuring that we have a council-led ordinance uh, that can really help inform the implementation of the recommendation. What I don't want happening is that oftentimes we do audits and they just end up sitting on a shelf. I want to make sure that these recommendations get implemented. That's absolutely really critical. Um, and so having an ordinance, I feel like, makes a statement from the council that we are committed to this. If that means we're committed not just with our, uh, our words, but also in our budget, because this will be a a budget discussion item if an ordinance does you know get pushed forward to the full council for consideration and so um, again I would like to make the motion to approve the auditor's report but ensure that uh, we work with the city manager's office to uh, draft a council-led ordinance uh, that can inform really the implementation and ensure that all 16 of these recommendations first gets implemented um, but also working closely with community members to make sure um, that it's working. I'm really proud of the task force that Vice Mayor and I have co-led over this past year. Our LEAP group, our language equity access work group made of numerous CBOs and community partners who've been doing this fight for a really, really long time. Um, so just want to give a shout out to you. If you're watching this and you've been in our meetings, I want to say thank you for being our eyes and ears on the ground and helping to really guide this process. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, wonderful. It's seconded by Vice Mayor Guerra. I will wait my turn, but uh, great motion. I want to just ask some questions and clarity on timing so that the staff and uh, the lead members are aligned here in terms of timing. But let's go, let's go to Vice Mayor Guerra next. Good. <clears throat> thank you very much, uh, uh, Mayor, and, uh, and also to thank you to um, Jorge, our city auditor and our team and our city manager uh, for the good work of uh, producing a well-defined audit. Um, you know, I want to personally thank also uh, Mayor Pro Temp, uh, Maya Vang. Uh, you know, both she and I sit on budget and audit, and there are a lot of competing issues that we have to wrestle with as, as, uh, as a city. Uh, but one thing that we wanted to make sure is that, um, that people in our community, residents in our city, weren't left behind. And the audit... Um, says something that we knew to be the case, but we wanted to make sure that it got documented here so we can make the right actions to move forward. And uh, what I will say first, uh, you know, is um, I do want to thank our staff because since 2015, I remember uh, being the only other council member who could speak a different language. And, you know, even then working, you know, with our great clerk, different, there was a different charter officer. There were different council members at that time. Um, and it was a and it was a struggle to to move things, but I do want to thank our staff because we have made uh, strides. Now we have 17 different languages, or over 17 different languages in 311. You know, sign language uh, has been make, made sure that we're expanding it, and with the advent of Zoom and other options, we're making sure that 
uh, that we're making sure that folks have access to uh, different services. Uh, even, uh, you know, through the pandemic, uh, we started doing webinars and training for small businesses in multiple different languages so that they could access um, the federal grants that were coming in at the time. We've led uh, as a council to making sure that during our collective bargaining process, we look at uh, incentives and compensation for our staff who want to learn a different language and know that's going to be additional work because at some point our staff was doing extra work. Those who did have uh, a separate language uh, but won't, weren't being compensated appropriately even though on top of their day-to-day -day job they still were doing additional work because they care. Because they care that they didn't want uh, any of our city residents to be led behind. Uh, so, and, and, uh, and then we, you know, to supplement the, um, the gaps that we had at the time, we went and used uh, interpreter services. But therein lies the challenge, okay? Therein lies the issue that the audit highlights and what, um, um, you know, Mayor Proteng Vang and I have uh, wanted to bring forward is that without a direct policy, a standing ordinance, an ordinance that guides the city on what we want to do, then we could never budget appropriately, we could never time things appropriately, uh, making sure that we uh, send a message that we don't want uh, members of our community left behind. Whether you're uh, you know, an English-only person who uh, relies on sign language, whether you're uh, you know, uh, uh, a recent refugee, or uh, as you saw here, the majority, uh, grand majority are Spanish-speaking. But yet even then, uh, many of our services aren't translated. Um, so, um, I, again, I want to uh, thank, uh, you know, uh, uh, Council Member, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Vang uh, for, for this. And we, we have put together a draft ordinance, but we want to make sure that we're working in conjunction with our city staff and our community groups. The LEAP uh, group that has been um, uh, providing us on the ground, um, you know, day to day, what is the best service? Because we want this to be uh, implementable and making sure that it comes to outcomes. Uh, like many of us, I, and I want to thank, you know, Carolina Flores and Clarissa LaGuardia, who uh, have been involved not only in, uh, on the language access side, but even before then on our issue of, um, you know, employee hiring, recruitment, diversification. How do we make sure that we're making those? We see, we've seen some positive trends, and that's come about from this process of auditing, finding out where we are, recognizing our strengths, but acknowledging where our gaps are and closing those as well. Uh, this audit helps us move in that, that direction uh, as well. Um, I know personally what it was like to come to the country and not know English. I know what it's like when I didn't know English. You know, we joke that if you're, you know, in, you're in a uh, bilingual household and you're a teenager, you're, you know, you're a paralegal, uh, you know, a medical assistant, uh, you know, uh, all at once by the time you're 15, you know, because you're, you're translating and, and an insurance broker, you know. I mean, those are the worst to try to, you know, re, you know, read the insurance documents for your uh, your family, and uh, and as the audit recommended, that can't be the standard. You know, we can't have we can't have it be the standard that it's our our young kids who are growing up here bilingual as the ones who are um, the only ones giving advice to their parents about how to access city services, and that's what this policy is about. <coughs> if we want when we talk about all of the different resources, the rebate programs, you know, and during the during the emergency this last two months. Think about what, what it means like having timely access to information. In, in, uh, on the general sense, it's the average daily surfaces, but in, in times of emergency, you know, it's about life and death as well. 
So all of these pieces are critical when we are developing a language access policy. And the, the striking point, and many people don't notice it but until you look at the census data, is only 63% of, of our city is monolingual. Like that means that over a third of our city uh, speaks a different language. You know, and, and that's a beautiful thing, but it comes with these challenges that we need to make sure that, that that third of the city, over that third of the city, who are taxpayers as well, who are business owners as well, who are workers and laborers in our city, make sure that they have that equal access. So uh, proud to second the, the motion that has the direction because while today it's just the audit, the real work is going to be how we create something that outlives us here. Because what we've gone to today has been helpful, but what we really need to do is create a standing policy that moves us uh, for the future to come because it may change. Right now, maybe Spanish is the, long, the largest number of, of um, uh, uh, folks who speak a different language. But we see that Sacramento is uh, one of the largest, uh, I think Houston's the first largest, but Sacramento is the largest uh, of uh, Afghani refugees. We don't know what may happen in the future, and we need to be prepared for those changes. So with that, I'm excited about this, Mr. Mayor. And Great uh, work again uh, to uh, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Vang and to our city staff and community members who uh, are going to make it happen. Thank you very much, Vice Mayor. Uh, Councilmember Talamantes. Okay, I think I'm going to repeat what uh, Mayor Pro Tem and the Vice Mayor said, but when you're an immigrant's daughter, you will find yourself in spaces that are really uncomfortable at the doctor's office, um, talking to attorneys, uh, citizenship. Uh, immigration, <laughs> uh, calling utilities, and, and honestly, this COVID-19 pandemic, it was rough to find credible people that can translate the information that we were receiving. I mean, it was, it was a crisis, and, and I think we need to be better prepared for if there's another pandemic in the future. Like, that information is so valuable in saving people's lives and making sure that we have the appropriate people in these spaces. So just kudos to Jorge, your city auditor team. I mean, just the work that you continue to do is invaluable. Thank you. And um, I look forward to the implementation part because like you guys said, it's the policy and the ordinance is one thing, but making sure that it's working and that we're translating the documents and that our programs and resources at the city of Sacramento are accessible to the entire community is gonna be crucial. So you have my commitment and I'm wanting, I'm willing and wanting to help you and let's get this done so that by the time next year comes around or by the end of the year, we say this is what we're doing now and, and move forward as a community because we can do this. We're, di we're, di we're diverse city, let's, let's own it <laughs> all, and by all the ways. <laughs> Thank you very much, Councilmember Talamantes. Councilmember Lilloe. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, just to follow up uh, with what my colleagues indicated. I think this is very important. So I want to thank the Vice Mayor and Mayor Pro Tem to spending your time on this because th this is a very important tool that our city needs, especially when we're such a diverse city and we actually welcomed some of the you know you know largest immigrants, the Afghan immigrants that are here, and uh, working with them closely. A service like this is badly needed because, as you indicated. You know, um, it's very hard for a seven-year-old to walk with his or her mom to doctors and try to translate everything. So um, I'm committed to this. Um, I'm hoping that we can also come up with a, a deadline of when this can happen because as 
we heard from one of our speakers. Um, you know, this is not something that we want to just sit down and talk about, and then five years from now, we're still trying to implement it. I think having a timeline and a deadline for this is imperative, and I want to thank Jorge and all the staff that have looked into this. So whatever my office can do, um, I'll make myself available, but having a deadline on this, I think it's very imperative. So thank, thank you very much to all. Th thank you. Um, Councilmember Lilloe, just make a brief comment, then I'm going to ask the city manager to make a comment. I, I want to first thank council members, or excuse me, Mayor Pro Tem Vang and Vice Mayor Geta for uh, their leadership on this. Um, it's really important that the elected leaders take on the cause, um, and yet you're not alone. And the best work happens when the elected leadership works closely with the city staff and the city management to put together all the best ideas, and that's going to lead to the better product. And the city auditor as well, you've laid a great foundation here uh, for the ordinance to go forward. Um, I, I listen to my colleagues, and I got to tell you, I'm really moved. Um, because lived experience is so powerful. Lived experience, this is not some academic issue. Our elected leaders here ha have lived the challenge here when Vice Mayor Guetta says that a third of our Sacramento population speaks multiple languages. Um, that makes this a core issue. It's a core issue because there is no greater test of inclusion. And we talk about inclusion a lot here. We have a racial equity committee. Um, everything is about inclusion and racial equity in this city. It's one of the things that makes us all so proud to live here and to serve here. But there's no greater test of inclusion than whether people can literally communicate with their city. <clears throat> I think the signal tonight, Mr. City Manager, knowing the budget challenges that we face and having to balance all of the things we're going to have to balance in the months ahead, that I think this issue has been articulated tonight by the community and by a cross-section of members as a budget priority. So in terms of the timing of the ordinance, speed is important, uh, but we also want to get this right and we also want to fund it. And so in talking to the lead uh, council members, the vice mayor and the mayor pro tem, the idea of coinciding the consideration of the ordinance with the city budget process, i.e. the Lawn Ledge Committee and maybe even the Budget and Fiscal Committee around May, and that doesn't mean that the grass uh, lies doesn't grow in, the, in, in these months ahead because there's a lot of community work to do. And the staff, by the way, is using that time to gather all the input from the departments. We get to that point of the budget season and we can combine budget and the inclusive policy, and I mean inclusive in terms of inputs, um, and then we will be ready to go under your leadership. Fair enough. Good enough, Mr. City Manager. Yes, uh, so it's tough going after this gentleman here. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, no, I, I first want to start by thanking the, the Vice Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, for taking a leadership role and uh, driving this really for a couple years now. We spoke with some of the people in the audience here as we've kind of uh, looked at what this language access policy could be. Uh, but, and, and I appreciate Jorge and his team, Amy Williams and my team, Lynette, the city, uh, Lynette Hall, CDD, I mean, um, uh, economic development, and also the city attorney's office for helping with this. 
And absolutely, to Councilmember Lilly's point, uh, we will absolutely move with a sense of urgency here because we've heard very loud and clear from this council and from the community, that's what we need to do. So what we're gonna be doing is developing the citywide policy in, in conjunction with the budget process that, uh, as the mayor alluded to, will come forward for consideration in ordinance form. And we, we, there's many things we can do in parallel. So I, I don't think it's insurmountable, I know it's not insurmountable, because many, many of the recommendations, all of them we agree with, and we've done a lot of the legwork already. So it's not gonna be a, a huge lift. We will have to have a conversation about the budget and the financial implications of it and how far we wanna go, the thresholds of you know, translation, for instance. But all those things will get vetted as part of the citywide policy and uh, coming back to this council for consideration in ordinance form. So. Let me thank in advance the city attorney as well and your team because I'm gonna play a crucial role in helping uh, take all this input, community input, leadership input, uh, management input to craft the ordinance in a way that is going to stand out in the, a positive way. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, can I add one? Go. Yep. Uh, so just for clarity, I believe, so what we're going to do is obviously approve the city auditor's report. I just want to clarify my motion. Um, but with the but work with the city manager uh, to develop the, the ordinance, which we do have a draft ordinance template, uh, really feedback from the community. Um, but with that motion, I also want to make sure that this item goes to law and ledge. I know last week we talked about process and protocols. And so just flagging it for our amazing chair of law and ledge, Councilwoman Dow as well as well, to make sure that this draft uh, framework uh, does go to law and ledge um, yeah. while we're working on the internal policy. And we'll time it, the law and ledge hearing, with some port, the some stage of the budget process so that it all works. Is that all right? Yeah, yep. sounds okay, great. Okay, this will not go on a log, so I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a... We have, <laughs> we, we have, we have a this motion. is our first try not using the log. We're going to go through the committee. <laughs> we, no have, we, have, here. we have a motion and a second. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, abstain. Very good. Thank you all for coming together on uh, this really, really important item. All right, um, members, we're going to go back then to item 12, which is on the consent calendar, but obviously by virtue of the way we did this, it's going to be off the consent calendar. It's Excuse me, I said 12. Item 13 um, is going to be heard separately. I'm going to ask the city manager to... Uh, to begin. Yes, absolutely. As we uh, mentioned and, and discussed at the beginning of this meeting, we pulled this item proactively. I'm going to ask the police chief and her team to come forward to talk about what this is and what this isn't. And we've gotten so much feedback about this, and we want to make sure that it's it's uh, transparent in, in terms of what we're doing here. Uh, and, ha and not only the council, but the public understands what this request is. And as a reminder, this comes on the heels of, uh, you know, an, an approval from the council in September for the military uh, equipment use policy, and it contemplated at the time that we would come back like we're doing now for approval of this grant award. Uh, and then the other piece here, I, I will just say, and I will turn it over to Chief Lester, is that this council's been committed to investing uh, time, effort, resources in less lethal options as we have these interactions with the public. And this is yet another tool in that toolbox uh, and so I, I'm hoping that we will have the support of this council because in the absence of getting uh, uh, approving this tonight, uh, we will lose the opportunity and uh, a grant award of over $400,000. And from my perspective, it would give us fewer tools and make our community less safe. Chief Lester. 
Chief Lester, one thing as you're coming up that you might address right at the top here is, and the city manager alluded to it, is how uh, this project, so to speak, would be funded. Um, Absolutely. With, with specificity. Please. Yeah, thank you, Mayor, actually. And this is um, not, there is no city funding that is going into this project. It's actually through the UASI uh, funding. And with me tonight, I actually have a team of folks. And I know that's a complicated process, but they're here to answer any questions. And we'll go into further detail about that. With me tonight are Deputy Chief uh, Leong, who oversees the Specialized Services Division. He's also been very involved in the military equipment use policy. Um, Lila Bowie is our lieutenant overseeing the UASI division. Program manager Craig Mohar um, oversees that as well. And then uh, for specific questions from our specialized services division, we have Captain Bryce Heinlein and Lieutenant Robbie Young. But I would like to start us off. Chief, um, um, I don't want to derail you, but can you talk about UASI, what that acronym stands for? Oh, I'm sorry. It's the Thank Urban you. Area Security Initiative. And our region is provided funding. Um, with that funding, um, there's it, it's uh, basically parsed out through the region there's actually a board that makes decisions on how that funding is to be used and a lot of it goes to training it goes to community um, we've done a number of assessments and have also been able to provide funding um, to do target hardening of churches for example and so is, is there a local match no there's no local match keep going okay. it's federal funding um, and uh, certainly how it's parsed into the different um, buckets I could um, if Lila doesn't mind coming up uh, with Craig, we can go into that in a little further detail, and then I'll get into my remarks. Thank you. Good evening. Hi, I'm Lailai Bowie. Um, the UASI program is a component of the Federal Homeland Security Gra uh, Grant Program, which aims to help um, strengthen the, na the nation's communities against potential terrorist attacks and supports the goal to strengthen national preparedness and resilience and readying the nation for catastrophic disasters. So the Sacramento region has been identified as one of, identified by Department of Homeland Security as one of the high density urban areas uh, most at risk for terrorism. Um, our four county region consists of Sacramento, Yolo, uh, El Dorado and Placer counties. Um, so for the fiscal year 2021, um, Department of Homeland Security designated five national priorities that must be addressed, um, utilizing at least 30% of these funds. And that's enhancing cybersecurity, um, enhancing the protection of soft targets or crowded places, which includes uh, physical protective measures such as safety barriers, um, enhancing information intelligence sharing and analysis and cooperation with federal agencies such as Department of Homeland Security, um, and that includes uh, public information and warning, combating domestic violence extremism um, through interdiction and disruption, and then addressing emergent threats such as transnational criminal organizations and weapons of mass destruction. Uh, funds can also be used for planning, organization, uh, training and awareness, including active shooter training, public awareness preparedness campaigns that we've done already, stop the bleed rescue training, um, equipment and capital projects, which include the physical barriers that we have used downtown. Um, and then exercises uh, that include uh, disaster preparedness and response. Um, that money can also be used to pay for management and administration or for our staffing purposes. Uh, we have used these uh, funds in the area, area for um, 
training and exercises that have included um, technical rescue functions, regional flood, wildfire, and hazardous materials exercises, stop the bleed training um, at schools and businesses, as well as uh, large, um, large uh, organizations such as the Convention Center. And in other projects that we have funded including, included equipment such as thermal imaging cameras for fire rescue, uh, rapid DNA chips that for the coroner's office, um, and also bleeding control kits that we have um, placed in schools. Are there any questions um, regarding the funding? Okay. Uh, so in December of 2021, you may remember that council gave um, us the approval to seek authorization to acquire, fund, and use a new piece of equipment called the Rook. The Rook is an armored vehicle on a track platform, and it allows officers the mobility to gain positions of advantage from a safe location and provide officers with the opportunity to resolve dangerous situations using de-escalation and potentially less force when dealing with really violent people. The Rook has become a standard tool for many police departments across the nation, offering opportunities to resolve potentially deadly situations in the safest manner for all involved parties. We are familiar with the Rook because in the past, during critical moments, we have asked the Sacramento Sheriff's Office to respond with their Rook to help us resolve numerous dangerous situations within our city. However, it does come with an understandable delay. And just to be t clear, you know, this piece of protective equipment is not being purchased with any city of Sacramento funds. Like you heard, it's through federal funding through the Urban Area Security Initiative uh, for this very unique and critical tool. Then in September of 2022, we again came before you on this item as funding had not been secured at that time. We asked for and we were again given approval to acquire funding for the Rook. At that time, we promised that if funding came available, we would come back to this council to seek approval. So we are here tonight for a few things. One, to ask approval to suspend competitive bidding, and then to also enter into a contract for the Rook and to execute a contract. You know, we understand that any item that has a military appearance rightfully raises concerns and questions in our community, and we are very sensitive to that. While this equipment does have armor plating for officer protection, it is not employed in any of the traditional sense of military use. This piece of equipment is highly specialized. It's not used for routine operation, and it will only be used in the most dangerous of situations. It's not used for things like protests or camp cleanups. We believe that the Rook can help us to provide enhanced protection for our officers and the public while helping us safely navigate really high risk events that the police department is charged with resolving in our community. As we shared in our report to council in December of 21, um, because of the extra ballistic protection that the Rook provides, it gives officers some increased options for better positioning within a hazardous scene. The unique capabilities that the Rook provides, um, which Norm will go into some greater detail about, they just really can't be accomplished with our existing protective equipment. It includes really the ability to move in very tight spaces, remove dangerous obstacles, access things like second stories of buildings and homes, and it's also able to navigate a variety of terrain, including soft ground, without getting stuck. It is smaller than our current equipment, which allows us to access more places so we can better communicate and de-escalate safely. 
The root can also provide the ability to potentially gather information on the actions of a dangerous suspect or vital locations and conditions of victims and hostages. You know, the reality is that when our officers are called to a scene involving people who are violent or dangerous, our goal is always to attempt to resolve those situations with the least amount of harm or, or force possible. And as your chief of police, it really is my duty to evaluate every option and use every appropriate piece of equipment available to us to accomplish this goal, which is shared certainly by our community. One recent example of our officers using multiple tools and tactics was the safe resolution of an incident involving a barricaded subject who was threatening to kill high-level elected officials, including members of our mayor and council. In order to safely take the suspect into custody, we used multiple pieces of equipment, including both of our armored vehicles, our unmanned aerial surveillance equipment, a long-range acoustical device, gas, and a remote-controlled car. This same call also required officers who are pilots for those UAS uh, equipment, hostage negotiators, and SWAT team members. But ultimately, by officers employing safe tactics, exercising patience and sound judgment, and having the ability to make the best use of current equipment, we were able to safely resolve the situation for everyone involved. The Rook would only enhance our ability to do so in a variety of perilous situations. But this is not just a matter of policy. We have a legal obligation as a city to provide safety measures for our officers. Back in 2018, the city was fined by Cal OSHA because we failed to correctly, or to correct previously identified hazards associated with protecting patrol officers from gunfire, specifically gunfire that penetrates the front side driver and passenger doors of our patrol vehicles when officers use those vehicle doors for cover and concealment. That was the result of two of our officers being shot in the line of duty. Ballistic protection was at the core of that finding and that is the very purpose of this Rook. We as the city of Sacramento, I know, have committed to do everything we can to protect our community from harm. We have implemented new policies, training, and equipment to accomplish this. We train and utilize distance, time, communication, and de-escalation. The sanctity of life is at the core of our critical decision-making model and our values. And there are tools available to help us accomplish this better, like the Rook. As technology improves, we are certainly committed to find and evaluate new and innovative ways to protect our community. And then finally, as a city, and certainly I, as your chief of police, have a responsibility to the men and women of the Sacramento Police Department who are called to resolve violent and unpredictable situations. You know, the job of a police officer is dangerous enough on its own. We are obligated to do everything we can to enhance their safety so that they can serve the community and go home to their families also. We've all seen firsthand that our police officers who serve this city every day, day in and day out, and always go to the need or the call for help are faced with extraordinary and high-risk situations, and they are subject, subjected to risks that most people cannot even imagine. You know, we have a number of instances where officers in attempting to safely resolve situations have been subjected to direct gunfire. In one situation, officers tried to perform a welfare check on one of our community members, but that person was armed with a rifle and subsequently fired over 80 rounds from that rifle at those officers. In that case, a borrowed rook was instrumental in protecting our officers from injury and possibly even death. 
And I would just like to ask everyone to think about that for a moment, what that feels like to take direct gunfire. Um, you know, we are so fortunate to have talented and courageous men and women, officers of our department that are dedicated to serving our community. And I just don't think it's unreasonable to expect that we as leaders would do everything we can to ensure the safety of our community and certainly our employees. Thank you. And with that, I will turn it over to Deputy Chief Leong, who will go into some details about the history of the Rook and um, you know, share um, some additional perspective. Thank you. I think we can keep it pretty brief. I think the presentation was thorough, but please, Deputy Chief. Great. Thank you. Go ahead. I'll uh, keep it very concise, Mayor. Uh, once again, I'm Deputy Chief Norm Leong. Um, I'm going to provide you a quick uh, summary of uh, the grant funding, the dates what the Rook is, the capabilities of the Rook, and some examples of prior use. So in December 14, 2021, the City Council approved the Uwasi grant for, for that year. It was a little over $3 million. Um, and this year, Uwasi grant allocated $444,500 for the purchase of the Rook. What is the Rook? The Rook is an armored critical incident vehicle that's built off a Caterpillar multi-terrain loader. The armor is used as a protective tool for your city employees while they deal with potentially life-threatening situations. What can the Rook do that differs from our existing armored vehicles? It's smaller in size, as the Chief talked about. This allows maneuverability and all-terrain capability, allowing officers to get closer to incidents while having protection, such, such as in schools, apartments, or even large retail establishments. It also allows for elevated platform. That allows our officers to gain sight of subjects. Um, it allows them to extract uh, potential victims or other uninvolved parties. And it also allows for a breaching ability that does not place our officers in harm's way. So it has a, a, a RAM device that allows us to push open a door, for instance, without the officers being exposed to gunfire. Um, it can also remove debris and vehicles that are in the way of um, an operation that would otherwise not allow us access to certain points. So with that, when can it actually be used? It can be used by, um, by officers to uh, save or rescue or evacuate personnel, both police officers and community members. It can be used um, based on geography of the location, so uh, wet uh, unstable terrain because it has the tracking skid ability that our armored vehicles currently don't have. Um, and then finally, I'll address some prior uses. Uh, since 2019, our SWAT team um, has uh, been shot at while using armored vehicles three times. In those three different locations and incidents, they've been shot over 100 times. Our SWAT team has moved to a much safer tactic for suspects and officers that we term surrounding call out. This tactic has replaced raids that you may be seen on TV that are more dynamic in nature where they break into a, a house or a location and then they move rapidly inside. In order to do this surrounding call out technique, they need cover. So they need the ability to see the front door. They need uh, armor protection to be able to uh, communicate with the suspect. Uh, for the long term. And that change in process was an effort to really minimize direct contact between suspects and officers to allow for more time to communicate and hopefully get the person to surrender peacefully. So specific examples of its use. 
So um, as the chief said, we've called the sheriff's department or sheriff's uh, office for the use of their rook in the past. In 2019, Officer Tara Sullivan was killed in line of duty. The rook was used to move vehicles off the property where the suspect was barricaded and still shooting so that armored vehicles could contain the suspect. It was also used to remove a tree during the incident. It should be noted that our primary armored vehicle got stuck during the rescue of the officer and was not able to fully extract her out of that location because it got stuck in that terrain. In September 2020, SWAT was called out for a subject who shot his girlfriend in the face with a shotgun and was believed to be hiding in, a, in the Arcade Creek Greenbelt. The rook was used to access and clear the suspect's treehouse, which allowed for an elevated platform, which our current armored vehicles do not allow for. In September 2021, patrol officers were conducting a welfare check. This is the one that the chief talked about. Uh, they observed a subject armed with an AK-47. Officers, while positioned behind the existing armored vehicle, took over 85 rounds during an hour time period by the suspect. The rook was utilized to remove an awning covering the front window as well as the blinds of the same window so that we could try to determine if the suspect was firing blindly or specifically at officers. The rook was struck by several rounds. Between the rook and the other armored vehicles, it shielded officers and surrounding houses from uh, rifle fire. There was also a school that was hit, although this was the evening hours, so the school was not in session. In February 2022, SWAT was serving a search warrant who was wanted for shooting at his neighbors. The suspect was believed to be armed with a rifle. The rook was used to remove a security screen door and break out the front window, allowing us to send in an uncrewed aerial system, better known probably uh, as a drone, uh, to check for the suspect. The suspect was not inside, but it saved many hours of uh, residents being impacted and allowed us to actually clear the residence without officers making contact. Once again, in the effort to deescalate and prevent officer suspect contact. Why was the Rook used over other armored vehicles in this situation? The Rook is much smaller and was more maneuverable. It causes less damage while getting into small, hard to get places, unlike our existing armored vehicles. Final uh, example, Mayor. Uh, in April of 2022, the Rook was used on a domestic violence incident involving a hostage. During the incident, the rook was able to force open the front door of the residence as the suspect shot at the officers in the rook. Suspect ultimately surrendered. So why couldn't the other armored vehicles be used in this situation that we exist, currently have? The geographical layout of the front yard did not have the room necessary to allow the armored vehicle or existing armored vehicles to breach the front door, but the rook was able to do so, preventing using that armor prevented actual shots hitting our officers if they were to uh, go up on foot to do the same act. So that concludes my presentation. The team will be available for any future questions. Thank you very much. It was very thorough and we appreciate it. Um, all right, I, I know Councilmember Valenzuela is up, but I think we should probably take all the public testimony first. How many people do we have, Madam Clerk? Um, thank you, I have 21 speakers signed up at this point. I'd like to remind members of the public if you'd like to speak on this item, if you're in council chambers, fill out a speaker slip. If you're on Zoom, raise your hand. After the first speaker, we will no longer accept speaker slips in chambers and the raise hand feature in Zoom will be disabled. So our first speaker is Carly Brannon, then Case, then Paul, then Meg Kohite.
I'd like to supplement all of the examples that <laughs> the pigs just gave um, and give you some examples of why the police department don't need more military equipment. Gabby Navarez, Adrian Ludd, Dejan Flaneau, Jason King, Joseph Mann, Desmond Phillips, Lorenzo Cruz, Ryan Ellis, Michael McIntyre, Stefan Clark, Brandon Smith, Daryl Richards, Marshall Miles, Maurice Hawley, Antonio Thomas, Jeremy Southern, Robert Coleman, Kershawn Geiger, Carl Walker, Sharano Stingley, Jaime Naranjo. Those are all people who should be still here today. But our law enforcement, and granted, not all of those people were murdered by Sacramento Police Department. They were also murdered by Sacramento Sheriff Department, CHP, and other agencies. But those are all people who were murdered by law enforcement. The only time that I have ever seen law enforcement pull out their military weapons is to use against the community, not to keep us safe. Just because we can get this money to get the new rook does not mean that we should. These items need to be brought to the public much earlier so there can be more discussion before a last minute push through. And Daryl, you going to that vigil last night just long enough to take a picture and then trying to pass this through the consent calendar the very next day is disgusting. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Case, then Paul, then Meg. Hey, I'm Case, uh, District 4. I'm urging the city not to spend this money further militarizing the police and voicing opposition to this item. This program allows for a wide variety of uses and there is no requirement for this money to be used for an armored military style bobcat. This is not free money because the, there's the opportunity cost of the available funds. As a nationwide program, there are plenty of other cities to look for with much better uses for these same funds. For example, New York's Division of Criminal Justice Service uses the, used them towards providing programs for individuals who had been victims of hate crimes so that they could receive direct services such as counseling, civil legal assistance, safety planning, advocacy, and uh, emergency shelters, and transportation from their wide variety of victim assistance programs. This program also allows for the purchase of emergency medical services and equipment from the FEMA authorized equipment list. For instance, we know wildfires are becoming increasingly common due to the greed of the fossil fuel industry blocking emissions standard in every attempt to move to a better world. However, we can use these same funds to help stop fires with a variety of equipment such as respirators, firefighting, footwear, chainsaws, and other equipment. Police unions bought this council for $305,000 between 2010 and 2020. I urge you not to give the police yet another $440,000 tool that will inevitably be used to cause harm and to look for a wide variety of other programs that improve the health and well-being of Sacramento. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Paul, then Meg, then Mackenzie.
I don't care if it's free, if the upkeep is paid for in perpetuity, if they give us a million dollars to keep it, that doesn't matter to me. It's the unnecessary trauma that you bring on already traumatized communities. Because instead of investing in those communities to stop trauma, to provide for need, you would rather plan for their criminality, rather than your failure to provide them with what they need, your failure to address their historical documented trauma. Instead, you would like to traumatize those people in need, those soulless bullies making six figures whose words you take as gospel because you don't know how to question a single thing that they would say for fear of appearing soft, soft on crime. Well, soft in this case is having empathy. Soft in this case is being aware of the reality of experiences occurring in minority and disadvantaged communities. Soft is trying to stop the cycle of trauma rather than amplify it. Soft isn't recognizing that the circumstances trotted out as why we should have the Rook rarely even happen in Sacramento. And we can borrow them from the sheriff as admitted multiple times by the cops. And that the chance of this being used harmfully are much higher than it being used for hostage negotiations. If you vote for this, you're voting for the re-traumatization of those communities. If you vote for a no-bid contract, you are voting for a lack of transparency. You are voting for favoritism, for corruption, and so much business as usual. Be different. Acknowledge harm. Acknowledge lack of investment in communities. Acknowledge and address trauma rather than compounding it by letting more trauma occur and then paying more, for more trauma to occur. If those of you with words and sentiments for Tyree and his family meant it, then don't vote for increasing militarization of our police, regardless of whether the cost is covered. And if you didn't mean it, those words, those sentiments, then vote for it. You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. I would hope that you can make an independent decision and refuse to be bullied by people in the audience here to remind you where your bread is buttered. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Meg, then Mackenzie, then Nikki Jones. Go ahead and proceed and I'll pull it up. Please proceed with your comments. Thank you. Hi, my name is Meg White. I'm a resident of District 4. I'm also a brick and mortar business owner there in District 4. I'm also a survivor of violent crime as well as police brutality and I'm here to urge you to vote no for three main reasons. The first one is gonna be the track record of SAC PD. As you can see here, this is Nandy Kane Jr. in 2017 and us taxpayers had to pay $550,000. That's more than this work that they're asking for because Anthony, Officer Anthony Ferguson decided to beat him for jaywalking. <laughs> he was offered paid leave and then was returned to the very community that he committed this assault in. If this is the same Anthony Figueroa, he also received an award in 2008 shortly after that beating. Looking forward with Joseph Mann, there's over $700,000 uh, comes to a close there as well. And then another $220,000 for Dazion Fleno. We also have Daryl Richards, who was 19 years old when he was gunned down, unarmed and in a mental health issue. Uh, Todd Edgerton was one of the officers involved in that, and he also was placed back in that very same community where this murder was committed. I know that firsthand because during the cops and coffee conversations, he was placed in that very same black traumatized community to explain to us why he's going to continue to use these weapons of military on us. 
The second reason is because this is a clear violation of AB 481. The spirit of AB 481 says that this should be a public ordinance in a public forum, and there has no, no meaningful public forum has been presented here. Unfortunately, the meetings are offered at times that are during the typical workday. We have to meet for very long, wait for very long times, and then we only get two minutes to speak. Moving forward here, we know that this is going to be a decrease in public safety and an increase in civilian deaths, specifically in black and brown communities. I saw many of you last night for the first time at a vigil for Tyree Nichols, and I urge you to vote like you actually believe in justice for Tyree Nichols and vote now. Thank you for now. your comments. You. Our next speaker is Mackenzie, then Nikki Jones. <clears throat> Hello, Council. My name is Mackenzie Wilson, and I'm a community organizer in the city. Speaking of lived experience, I'm also a person who has personally been targeted, harassed, and assaulted by your local law enforcement. Me and Norm's bike and his weapons had a very unconsensual relationship for too many years. I think I'd like to start with what lack of tact and ability to read the room slash country this item has being on today's agenda. It screams loudly of the disconnect and how disconnected folks are and the willful ignorance and disregard of the cries of people who have experienced police terror in this city and the thousands of community members who said no to SAC PD having military equipment because of how violent they are with it in their right to discretion and lack of regard for our bodies, our whole ass human lives and existences. This even being on the consent calendar again Again, is horrible, questionably malicious at worst, ignorant AF at most, um, considering how this all went down last time. It's not even about what money they used to buy it when 40% of the city's budget goes to cops instead of housing and community care. It's about how not cool your cops are with their weapons of war. For example, on Saturday night, I attended a vigil for the mass shootings and for the police killings of folks like Tyree. There was an altar of fire, prayer, magic, singing, crying, healing, and so much more. And as we attended this beautiful Space, we were constantly under threat and surveillance by almost 30 or 40 Sacramento Police Department officers who were accompanied by two paramedic vehicles because of what's in the military equipment policy about the need to give us medical attention when they use their weapons of war. It's important for you to know that while we came to mourn, your officers came ready to harm us, and that is indicative of your police force's inability to bring anything but threats of violence and force to communities in crisis. They escalate because their role is forced compliance. I mean, what a world we would live in if we prioritize de-escalation and our community's access and care and violence prevention. Don't do this. It's harmful and doesn't even address or minimize the chances of big harms happening in this community. Investment in us comments. and your our time care is and complete. our love. Thank you for your comments. You our next speaker is Nikki Jones, <clears throat> then Keon Bliss. Yeah, actually, I actually can't even believe we're talking about spending this much money on the Rook uh, instead of all the sort of uh, cool alternative options that the lieutenant spoke about. Um, it's weird. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's still the first of the month of the year and close to the Lunar New Year, and I'd like to uh, welcome back and uh, folks from last cycle and also take a moment to welcome our new policymakers in the room. Uh, may good governance and authentic listening to the people most impacted by any given issue feel synonymous and be your goals. Uh, may you be guided by wisdom of a wider lens and a view that allows history to be a sacred teacher. May you have the strength of will and heart to understand 
your local decisions as they relate to multiple global crises. May you meet the calling of your time instead of the demands of the most powerful who will persistently call on you to do their bidding. This is my <laughs> prayer for all of you tonight. And when they ask you to move forward with this acquisition of an earth-moving, wall-breaking sniper tank, a piece of military equipment they already have access to. Thanks, Norm, for that list of times you've used it successfully. It doesn't sound like we need a new one. Uh, the Sheriff's Department, they will undoubtedly be used disparately, like the rest of their high-tech military vehicles in black and brown communities, just as they do traffic stops, use of force, i.e. abuse uh, incidents, arrests, and killings. It's almost as if there's an ongoing bias problem. Almost as if dare I say, and big if true, it's foundational. And the deference to this power, uh, the talking points y'all threw at community being cop talking points, the deference to this power is rooted Thank in white supremacy. Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Okay. Our next speaker Patriarchy. is Keon Bliss and Timothy Davis. Next speaker is Keon Bliss and then Timothy Davis. Thank you for your comments. <clears throat> Greetings, City Council. My name is Keon Bliss. I am uh, speaking to you as a concerned citizen and individual commissioner uh, as part of the Sacramento Community Police Review Commission. I'm calling on the City Council to vote no on item 13 and urge the City Council to reconsider the SPCR, the Community Commission's uh, recommendations on military equipment use before any purchase of new equipment is made. As you are aware, the Rooks' use is governed under General Order 410.06 and AB 481, which is very clear that the purchase and use of all military equipment must meet all four of the following requirements. That the military equipment is necessary because there is no reasonable alternative that can achieve the same objective of officer and civilian safety. The proposed use will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties. Purchasing the equipment is reasonably cost-effective compared to available alternatives that can achieve the same objectives and that prior military equipment use uh, complied with the military equipment use policy in effect at the time, or that prior, if prior uses did not, corrective action was taken. Not only does this item poorly timed, given the recent murder of Tyree Nichols and not align with community's concerns around the lack of police accountability, it also does not meet requirements one or three of AB 481. As mentioned by the department, SAC PD already has access to a rook through the Sacramento Sheriff's Office, which can be deployed with simply a phone call, which should not be at risk of, given the recent joint statement and touted partnership between SPD and Sheriff's Department under the leadership of Sheriff Jim Cooper. <laughs> Additionally, SPD has provided no data on how many situations require, that require the rook's deployment during the 79 incidents where armored vehicles were reported, which do not distinguish between crisis, alter, uh, crisis incidents, training, or community engagement uses like deployment like uh, showcasing them at schools. And according to the city manager, Sacramento is expecting an incoming budget deficit while facing numerous co converging crises in the realm of homelessness, mental health, climate change, and the ongoing global pandemic. As unless SPD has objective data to prove this vehicle is a cost-effective, life-saving necessity that's deployed more than a handful of times referenced by the department. Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. The city taxpayers can't Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Timothy Davis, then Emily. Hello, my name is Timothy Davis. I'm the president of the Sacramento Police Officers Association, and I represent the hardworking men and women of the Sacramento Police Department. 
I'm here to urge approval of item 13. This item will allow the use of grant funds to purchase a critical piece of safety equipment. The purpose of this defensive safety equipment is to allow our officers to better protect our community and allow our officers to safely resolve dangerous situations. This piece of safety equipment is another important tool that our department can use in its mission to de-escalate the violent situations we are called on to resolve. This is an important piece of safety equipment and I urge the council to approve the item. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Emily, then Jared Johnson. My name is Emily Smet and I am a resident of District 4 and I strongly urge the council to vote no on item 13. This near half million dollar armored vehicle constitutes an unnecessary and unwarranted military extravagance for the police. This vehicle will dangerously escalate situations for both civilians and police officers, escalate the risks of needless violence, undermine civil liberties, and unfairly impact people of color the most. I've also heard from Councilwoman Maple Staffer that the city is able to procure this vehicle practically for free as we're using grant funding and existing, existing budget allocations. To this, I have to wonder why you are trying to polish a turd. A, a tank doesn't become less of a threat if you can get it for free. Additionally, the city's report graciously outlines many possible opportunities to use this vehicle, including hostage situations and search and rescue. But as we've seen time and time again, these vehicles inevitably will be used to intimidate the citizens of this city and limit their freedom of assembly and expression. As just one more tank rolls onto the streets of Sacramento, we must ask ourselves what we want to stand for as a city. Do we choose to champion the voices of the oppressed and celebrate the beautifully diverse lives of our city or fund another senseless piece of the murder machine that is the modern police force? And to the members of this council, especially our new members, I have to ask, which side are you on? Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Jared Johnson, then Jennifer Laurent, and I have 15 more speakers. Hello, my name is Jared Johnson. I'm living in District 6. I am opposed to the bidding of the armored vehicle, AKA the Rook. I wanna start by saying that news of this vote to news to vote on this bid took on the Rick just recently reached me, and to be honest, I didn't get the time I would like to research the issue. A decision to purchase military equipment for police does require a great deal of caution, which is why it is specifically voted on. I just wanted to point out that the timeline feels rushed. Um, that being said, I didn't feel I didn't need more time to think about how I feel about purchasing military equipment. I have always believed since I was in middle school that militarization of the police force is a bad idea. It's a trend that has skyrocketed in the last 11 years. Militarizing our police pushes our community to a state of anxiety. I can't be more clear, acquiring military equipment is bad for our city. We should increase investment in our community and decrease investment in our police force. Sacramento police are receiving 40% of the city's discretionary budget. I heard tonight that the UASI funding can be used for other things besides military equipment. Using the funding for the Rook offsets um, other essential things. Furthermore, it should be noted that it costs around $10,000 annually to upkeep. After everything our city and con country has 
experienced with police terror, I don't think we should be sitting here discussing whether or not to buy armored vehicles, but instead discussing programs and alternatives to the structure that has repeatedly harmed our community. It has been stated that this vehicle is supposed to be in high profile incidents, but some research I did found that the rooks have been used during protests. The concept is that this rook will protect lives, but in reality it takes funding from things that save lives and heightens the tension between residents and police. I also want to point out that the mayor left the chair um, when receiving criticism over the vigil last night um, and while forwarding this agenda in the, during the first comment. Um, these are necessary conversations and we need you to be stronger and accountable to this process. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, for the record, I had to use the restroom. I'm sorry. Next figure is Jennifer Lorenz, and then we'll go online to Flo Kofer. Hi, I'm on District 3. So I went ahead and I read the uh, Homeland Security Grant Program funding guidelines this afternoon. And this call is actually quite broad and covers a number of possible categories that would have had a great impact on SAC PD and our community. I mean, we just heard this great presentation today about language access and there is operations money in this call that could do things like pay for interpreters. Um, <laughs> so I think it's really disheartening and disturbing that the proposal that they chose to put forward here was for basically what is another street tank. And not just because we've heard the examples of why the current equipment they have seems to be meeting all of their needs but because um, it feels like we could be doing a better job in general of putting forward proposals that encourage engagement with whole community partnerships. Um, you're now the official independent oversight body of the police military equipment use. You have a responsibility to be more engaged, more thorough, and more educated about these proposals being submitted by law enforcement. Uh, I want you to I want you to think a little bit more about how this kind of grant money should be used and how it can be used to better support our communities. And if it's not going to be doing that, then what are we even doing here at the end of the day? Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Flo Kofer. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Flo Jean Kofer, and I am a resident of District 6. And I'm calling to join in the and echo uh, much of what has already been said tonight, that um, this UASI funding could be spent for a number of things that I think we have discussed in this community need to be prioritized. Planning, training, organization. I heard Stop the Bleed earlier tonight disaster preparedness and response, um, and especially in a month where we had uh, major storms and uh, 911 calls were taking up to two hours to be responded. I think that there's a lot that could be done in terms of regional flood and wildfire, um, the thermal imaging for house fires, and even the rapid DNA and bleeding control kits. And so those are many ways that these dollars could be spent instead of spending them on um, this tank. But I also want to share, um, you know, a personal story because uh, on April 25th of 2022, I live on a street um, near actually my council member and that street was barricaded off and a tank was rolled down our street. And for 24 hours, I lived in fear that my life may end 
um, with no word from the police department. And I actually slept in my bathtub that night while flash grenades and other things were being thrown um, because I was fearful of when shooting might begin um, and what might happen. And so the, the image that rings, you know, loud in my face, in my mind is the tank that rolled down my very residential street with children um, on it. And I am traumatized from that experience. I was actually put on medical leave and treated for anxiety and PTSD after that experience. Um, and a lot of it was because of the way that SAC PD did not prioritize the health and welfare needs of everyone in the community. So when you're considering this, you had a lot of other opportunities to be able to spend these dollars on things that would protect and promote the welfare and safety of our community. And this is not one of them. So please do not approve this expenditure. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Margo Ronaldo. Hi, um, hi, my name is Margo. I'm a resident of District 4 and the co-chair of the Sacramento Democratic Socialists of America. Um, I'm speaking to you tonight to urge you to vote no on item 13 and oppose the further militarization of the Sacramento Police Department. The staff recommendation on the agenda for this item states that the intent of the US UASI grant is to support high threat, high density, federally recognized urban areas to build, sustain, and develop, deliver capabilities to prevent, prepare for, and protect against and respond to threats, hazard, and acts of terrorism. This means that the grant funding could be used for a number of purposes uh, to actually increase the health and well-being of Sacramento that do not include an armored military vehicle. These possible alternatives are actually clearly listed uh, in the grant manual. Um, other purposes described there include development of whole community partnerships, structures and mechanisms for information sharing between the public and private sector, implementing models, programs, and workforce enhancement initiatives to address ideologically inspired radicalization to violence on the homeland, like the white supremacist groups we've seen become more emboldened in our region over the past few years. Uh, tools, resources, and activities that facilitate shared situational awareness between the public and private sectors, et cetera, et cetera. So many better uses for this money. So the argument that this money is already on the table and you can't do anything else with it obscures the fact that you're actively choosing to allocate these desperately needed funds to what amounts to as a toy for the police department. There are a multitude of other creative ways you can work to use these grant funds. And for those of you who just ran progressive campaigns to earn your seat on this dais, I'd urge you to consider the commitments you made to folks while you were running, like supporting the recommendations of the Police Review Commission, which advocate against the lack of transparency, communication, and honesty that is being exemplified here. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Mar um, Sarah Raywich. Hi, can you hear me? We can. Uh, I'm Sarah of District 5, and I voted uh, for Katie Maple, so um, I hope that you can all hear me, but particularly Katie, because I was very excited to vote for you. Um, I urge the council to vote no on the rook. The last thing the city needs is to give SAC PD a third armored vehicle, military vehicle, in addition to the two they already have, and also they have access to the SAC County Sheriff's rook, uh, as we've heard. Further militarization of our police is not helping keep people safe. Instead, as you've just heard from several folks who already spoke, it's actually causing a lot of harm, both physically and psychologically. It's really terrifying to watch how SACPD is becoming more and more like a military that's being used against us. And I think it's very telling that Chief Lester felt she had to specify that the Rook supposedly wouldn't be used for protests or so-called camp cleanups. I know why she did that. I'll tell you why. Because... Back in 2020, SAC PD inflicted many severe and life-altering injuries on people 
of Sacramento who were ironically just peacefully protesting police violence. Those include a friend of mine who had to have the back of her head stapled shut to stop the bleeding inflicted by a, a police projectile. And have you been following the news lately of all the abuses of force and power by police that have resulted in the deaths of our citizens, Tyree Nichols in Memphis and the forest protector in Atlanta? These most are just the most recent example. The answer to police violence against our people should not be to give police more tools with which they can terrorize, maim, and even kill us. I've researched how the grant can be spent, and it's not just for police equipment like a military tank. I urge you to look at those details too. Others have spoken of them. They list ways that actually match up with the real and urgent needs of Sacramento, including com community partnerships like Citizen Corps, um, groups that could interface with leaders for emergency services. There are many, many. We don't need a war at home against our people by further militarization militarizing our police. What we do desperately need, however, is money for services during emergencies, mental health assistance, substance use disorder support, and housing for our people. Please, please, please do the right Thank thing. Thank you for and your comments. Your time is complete. Our next speaker is Trina Allen. Hi, this is Trina Allen. I support full abolition and oppose any and all funding for Sacramento area law enforcement. While I recognize such a goal won't be achieved in these chambers, today's agenda item leaves me with two major questions and a desire to engage in public conversation. First, how many wildly needed city services could be better funded with a half a million dollars? How many struggling folks could be helped? Second, and most importantly, who and what do you need this equipment for? because it certainly isn't to save people in crisis situations. On June 19th of 2019, I heard police rushing down my former street in Old North Sacramento. As part of cop watching, I listened in on the, the scanner to hours of absolute terror. Your officer had been shot and badly wounded a half a block away. It was within minutes the city's Bearcat, an armored tank, rolled in and arrived for retrieval. At that point, she was still moving and breathing. Your officers repeatedly requested great with greater and greater urgency to go in after her and they were denied for over almost an hour. They never once said that they were uh, impeded by any sort of trees or anything like that. All they kept saying is we are ready, we are clear, we want to go in and they were denied. So that's not true. Our, by that time, our neighborhood was flooded with dozens of police vehicles and equipment. Davis's Bearcat had even arrived before recovery was initiated. The SAC PD won't use the military equipment that they already have to save their own. What the entire F are they going to use this one for? Exactly whom are they going to use it against? We already know, and so do you, despite what they may say. Mr. Mayor and Council in general, I have zero interest in seeing you talk, take a knee, or tweet a photo op of performative equity when you watch black and brown bodies pile up at your feet and never hold yourself accountable when you ignore their deaths and reward their murderers. Don't say Tyree's name if you can't say Dejan Flamel, Joseph Mann, Stephon Clark, and Daryl Richards. For those of you on this council who know and consistently do better, I hope you loudly condemn this threat to community safety. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Moyes and then Corey Copeland. Hi, I'm with Sunrise Movement Sacramento. The city manager opened saying we would have less tools if we don't approve this. No, that is fully not the case. The department would have the same amount of tools that it currently has. This is an expansion not fully covered by the grant with an additional $8,000 a year in maintenance after procurement. What need does the city have to source military equipment from the Department of Homeland Security? Will the police department ever be resourced to perform its job? Or as this council has decided in recent years, is there an ever increasing need to expand their budget and equipment? What is the department's job? 
We said the same in September, but that council then did not listen. I hope this council now does. According to AB 481, this is a direct quote, the relationship police have with the community can be undermined when law enforcement is seen as an occupying force rather than a public safety service. That's the policy of the state of California, AB 41, to prevent such a situation. How does expanding an ever-growing arsenal of military vehicles and weaponry achieve that goal or comply with those guidelines? If ballistic protection is important, is so important as in the cited OSHA example, why is that not what we're discussing tonight? If the RUC will only be deployed in extremely rare circumstances, how will it contribute to the day-to-day -day safety of officers? What constraints exist on the UASI grant? And what alternative investments could this grant be utilized to fund? We specifically heard tonight from the chief that the RUC would not be used to respond to protests. Is that formal policy? Because in September, the chief said that the use of military equipment, including LRADs, would only be used in quote-unquote rare circumstances, citing the example of protests following George Floyd's murder at the hands of police, which is the case. Almost 150 e-comments were left in opposition to this item. Please look at them. It is of deep concern how and in which departments in the city have been consistently prioritizing investments and were deeply evaluating how the city's investments can be more cost-effectively leveraged to increase the outcomes. Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Our next speaker is Corey Copeland and Trevor Jones. Corey Copeland. Corey, it appears you're unmuted. It's your time to present to the council. I'm going to go to the next person, Trevor Jones. Hello, can you hear me? We can. Yes. All right, thank you. Um, yeah, I'll be brief uh, because a lot of people have called in and said very good points. Uh, there's been a lot of research done to say, oh, uh, the delay. A lot of research has been done by the by the community to show that this grant does not exclusively have to be for this type of equipment. There are plenty of more better uses for this that were stated. Um, yeah, this is just to me completely unnecessary and there are plenty more resources as the numbers of police violence since George Floyd have gone up and up and up despite all of the claims of reform and community investment. Uh, we need to see more, we need to have more done. Um, and invested in our communities. Um, I'll conclude my comment. Thank you for your comments. Uh, Corey Copeland, will you unmute? Hello? We can hear you, Corey. Corey Copeland. I'm gonna go to the next person, Raymond Rodriguez. Uh, good evening, everyone. I'm Ramon Rodriguez, and I uh, used to commute to Sacramento, but for tonight, I came here for concerns and the consensus I heard from other concerned members of the public. Why do we need to spend uh, almost half a million dollars on Brook when there's other ways to use that money to provide services, such as uh, programs to help uh, victims of crime, or even have used that $440,000 to buy back uh, illegal guns to get off the streets. And also, I heard stories of people who've been traumatized by seeing a lot of militarized police. And I'll give you other examples. In Mexico, in Cleacan, Sinaloa, police and military, especially police being militarized, looking for one of the main uh, cartel members they were shooting and 
killing people just because they want to arrest the son of El Chapo, Guzman. But that result is it traumatized the people of Cuyacán with uh, militarized police and everything. And have you not learned the lessons of Ty Tyre Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee? Police violence is real. It harms communities. It's really destructive, and it brings a lot of distrust between the, the community and the police. So I urge you all to vote no on the new rook and use the sheriff's rook, not wasting $440,000 because that money should be spent on other programs, not traumatizing black and brown folks. And if you do believe that black and brown lives matter, I urge you all to vote no on item 13 because the people are fed up and they don't want to be traumatized. And we all seen when militarized police do, they hurt people and they kill people and they traumatize. So vote no on 13. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Robert Harris. Hi, this is Corey Copeland. I'm going to start talking and assume you can hear me. I'm calling from D4. Um, I'm calling to comment on item 13. It's kind of galling to me that this was on the consent calendar and the council plan to pass this without a moment of discussion. You all don't have to operate this way. Many of you just yesterday went to a vigil for Tyree Nichols, a man with Sacramento roots who was murdered by the Memphis Police Department. His murderers were part of the Scorpion Special Unit that was known for being especially militarized. This is emblematic of a dangerous tendency in modern American policing to adopt military ideas, equipment, and culture, to treat the city you live in, or frankly usually commute into, as a war zone and its residents as your enemy. Police rolling into an armed situation, uh, or into a situation armed to the teeth in an armored military style vehicle on a wellness check is just obviously not de-escalation. Um, I think this is clear to anyone who has common sense in this gap in thinking is how we have an ever increasing tension between police and people. Repeatedly, this culture results in deaths, be it Tyree Nichols, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, or Stefan Clark. You know, we're marching down the road to hell through a hundred little choices like the one you'll make today. I want you to remember that vigil you were just at and the others that you've been to and ask yourself why you're taking another step down this road. If this continues, we'll be back here again inevitably and everyone here knows it. We all do. Why not try something else? Or if you vote for this anyway, when it comes time to go to the next vigil, don't pretend you can't understand how this keeps happening. Thank Hello, you. so this is Robert Harris. Can you hear me? We can. Okay, so Honorable Mayor Steinberg and members of the council, I've lived here since 1956. And I would only say one thing, follow the money. Who wrote the talking points for the police department? Who wrote the talking points for uh, the uh, CPOA? And who actually wrote the federal legislation to allow a rook to be included? I would guess it's the manufacturer of the rook. Hey. So that's that's all I have to say. Uh, follow the money. Bye. Thank you for your comments. I have four more speakers. The next is Monica Foote. Hi, I'm Monica Foote, District 4. I urge council members to vote no on item 13. I suggest grant funding should be used to fund a third party investigation into officers, or rooting out officers and officials that are affiliated with white supremacist 
terrorist organizations such as the Proud Boys, and even uh, officially categorizing the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization, and using that money for more community discussion instead of trying to pass items in hopes of no community involvement. So again, please vote no on item 13. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Richard Wake. Yes, uh, Richard Wake, City Council, District 7. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak on this issue. Um, you know, I agree with just about everything, uh, most everything was said, but I'm just going to draw a quick analogy here. You know, it was brought up by Chief Lester that the, the crazy guy that made threats to uh, Councilwomen Talamantes and Councilwoman Valenzuela and, former, and now State Senator Ashby and Mayor Steinberg and all the names that Carly Brandon mentioned. The big difference is, is that guy was white and he was taken alive. You know, you guys have a huge perception problem here. You know, as it was mentioned, you guys go to these ceremonies, thoughts and prayers and candles. And, you know, we, you know, we're with the families and all this stuff. But then you're going to vote for something like this. You know, I remember, you know, back, uh, uh, I think it was 2017, when there was a quadruple homicide here in my street in Southland Park. There wasn't... Uh, you know, armored vehicles, but there sure was like police vans, a lot of police vehicles for like 10 days on the street. And I have to say, I found that to be very, very traumatizing. And, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to be African-American or Latino or Latina and face a vehicle like that. I'm not going to even guess. But again, you guys have a huge, huge, huge perception problem here. I don't see how any of you could be you know, saying that you support these families and are advocating, you know, for, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, advocating for these families and thoughts and prayers and all that good stuff when you're going to be potentially voting for this. I was educated tonight. Let's use this, th this money for something else. We don't need this vehicle. It's not needed. Let's spend it on uh, making Sacramento a better place. Thank, Thank you, you for your comments. And next speaker is Corinne McIntosh Seiko. Good, or good evening, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, a small business owner, and a resident of District 7. I'm also the president of the Sacramento Valley Psychological Association and an appointed member of the Sacramento County Mental Health Board. Tonight, I'm speaking on my own behalf. I haven't heard one community member express their support of this item. The only support has come from SACPD and its union. And from your e-comments, there's only four that express support and over 150 that oppose this item. Now, I have heard countless times over the years of this council's desire to build trust with community. But the fact that you would even consider this item on the tales of our society bearing witness to the horrific brutality demonstrated by officers of the state on a young black man who just two and a half years ago was a resident of our city? We're living in a season of collective trauma and grief. And at this time, in this community, you consider this item? Now, the responses about funding leave me concerned about this city council being so eager and willing to arm SAC PD with military-grade weapons. How is it necessary for SAC PD to have this vehicle? And who deems what is necessary? How often are instances occurring where officer protection during hostage situations, negotiations, search and rescue, are actually needed. 
Have you considered the mental health effects such as anxiety and stress that are marginalized and disenfranchised communities experience when these military grade weapons are deployed in the neighborhoods that are already over policed? I hope this council has also researched the number of lawsuits alleging excessive force and discrimination by SACPD on our residents. In addition to the lawsuits alleging racial discrimination by SACPD against members of the public and its own police officers. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something and not all money is good money to accept. I'm hopeful that each of you will consult the police review commission in regards to this proposal. Just yesterday, SAC PD came to my Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Our final speaker is Zoe Kipping, is our final speaker on this item. Good evening. Uh, can you hear me? We can. Okay, thanks. That's my first time calling in on Zoom. Um, Zoe Kipping, District 4. Um, I wanted to bring up a different uh, tact. Last month on December 6th, the Sacramento police detective at 6 a.m., fatally struck two family members, Juan and Lionel Enriquez, Enriquez Rodriguez, who were 33 and 32, um, respectively. Um, prior to that, on October 31st, uh, an officer fatally struck a motorcyclist, age 61, Denzel Broadhurst. Uh, Sacramento Bee recently investigated that the Sacramento police have the highest vehicle pursuit rate in all of California and that yields the highest rate of all injuries yielded in these collisions. Um, that puts us ahead of massive cities like San Francisco, Los Angeles, think about that. Why should we fund an armored vehicle if the safety record of the driving of our officers and detectives is so hazardous? I think we need to be spending federal money uh, investi investigating and investing in the uh, safe driving habits of our officers. Um, I would encourage our police department and our council to seek outside grant funds for proven programs like peer-led gang and domestic violence interruption programs, gun buyback programs that have been really successful in the last year or two, um, services that prevent recidivism. Um, one thing that we learned from a different agenda item is that translation services for 911 is severely lacking. Um, and I'd like to see a member of the council make a motion to staff to find out what's the protocol for, for use of these Rook vehicles and, and what communications are available for um, obtaining these from jurisdictions within 15 to 30 minutes drive should they meet that criteria. Um, and lastly, an officer mentioned that a Rook was stuck in one of your- Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Mayor, I have no more speakers. Thank you very much, Madam Clerk, and thank you to the members of the public um, for calling in and, and coming to chambers to participate. Let's turn it over to the city council for questions and comments and potential action. Uh, start with council member Katie Valenzuela. Thank you. Um, and yes, I want to reiterate my thanks to everybody who's participating in this important discussion. We got a lot of emails and had a lot of conversations with folks this week and today. And I want to thank everybody who reached out. I want to make sure, I was going to ask a bunch of questions, but then there's a long presentation. And so I'm just going to stick to my comments here. Newer and more nimble, and we want another one, are actually not the criteria that we're supposed to be looking at to evaluate the acquisition of this equipment. According to AB 481, the new law that governs military equipment procurement and use by law enforcement, we have to make four determinations, as somebody mentioned earlier. Determination number one, that the equipment is necessary because there is no reasonable alternative. 
number two, that equipment will safeguard the public's welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties. Number three, the equipment is reasonably cost-effective compared to alternatives. And number four, whether we've been complying with our policies regarding use of that equipment. Of course I care about the safety of our staff. I just have to start by saying that. I want absolutely nobody to ever come to harm mentally, physically on, in the police department. I do not want that ever, 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 ever. I do believe it is possible for us to achieve that goal and still follow the law that is written to us today. We do have alternatives we can use, both with access to another rook, as was detailed through multiple examples, and to two other bearcats. I've been told that the sheriff has never not had the rook when we've called for it, even if it took a little longer to get there than we had hoped. But that's also why we have a very long list of other military equipment. And to my new colleagues, if you haven't read the military equipment use policy, I encourage you to. There's a long list of unmanned aerial aircrafts and robots and long-range rifles and equipment that is intended to mitigate exactly the sort of situations that were detailed today while they wait on the proper equipment to arrive. Now, beyond the policy on the table here, I have heard a lot of people say, well, it's not being paid for by the city budget, so what's the big deal? It's grant money, it's free equipment. Isn't that great? But this is taxpayer funded, right? This is not a private philanthropic grant. This is money that we are paying, and it may be coming through a different government agency, but it warrants the same question of this is the highest and best use of our public dollars. And as was mentioned during public comment, there are many other things that we can and probably should be looking to use this amount of money for, things that are urgent and that are timely and that are important for us to make sure we can get our citizens to safety and we can save lives when crises and emergencies arise. I wanna finish by just saying, this is not a war zone. This is our community. Our council has committed to a truth and reconciliation process and I'm proud that we've committed to that and I know the department is taking steps that haven't been discussed publicly. We still have a long way to go and I think we all admit that there's a lot of work to do. And further militarizing our law enforcement is moving us in the wrong direction. If we're really going to engage in the conversation about safety, then we need to really take seriously the comments that we are receiving and beyond potential costs, beyond where the money comes from, beyond the law as it now stands. I just don't believe this is the right move for our city, so I will be voting no today. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Council Member. Council, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Vang. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I first just wanted to take this moment to say thank you to all the speakers um, who's here today uh, in the chambers and in the People's Hall and also those who called in um, and who spoke during public comment. I know it took um, a lot of courage to speak here um, to your council members um, and to really share your story. Um, and I also uh, want to take this moment to also thank Chief Lester and Captain Leong uh, just for your work and service in our community as well. Um, but I want to take this uh, moment to really speak to community members who are watching this who have actually asked me to vote in support. Um, last year, I voted no on this item, and this year, I'll also be voting no again, but really just want to speak from my heart why I'll be voting no. Um, and to those community members that have called me uh, to support this item, you know, I, what I want to share with you is that I know that we live in a world where law enforcement is our default to public safety. Um, it's all that we've known. Um, and right now, what I want to share with all of you is that this council also do work very closely with our captains that are assigned to our district to really interrupt violence in our community. Um, but if we look at studies over and over again and really listen to the community, we know that the answer to addressing uh, the root of violence is in community care. Um, and it's making sure that we invest in our community. Um, I think as elected officials, um, you know, it, it it makes sense to vote yes and support because you want to 
uh, protect our officers. But what I want to share uh, for me, especially thinking about the visual that I attended last night, um, as I was reflecting and listening to the stories of Tyree's friends and family, I kept telling myself that another world is absolutely possible, and it's possible um, in our lifetime if we have the courage to do so. Um, and so I want to reimagine what that alternative world would be uh, with the for the people that I love um, and for my community. And I think that we start by doing that with our votes on and being courageous to create that type of world that we wanna live in. And so that's the reason why, why I will be voting no again um, uh, on this item as, as I did last year. Thank you. Council Member Maple. Thank you, um, and thank you, Mayor. Um, I actually just have a few questions, um, if that's okay. Um, we have received a lot of uh, emails, calls, comments um, from the community and others. And um, so one of the things that was brought up uh, during the presentation, or during um, the callers in and some of the e-comments is around uh, the grant itself and the money. So can you speak a little bit too about whether the funds that have been allocated can be used for some of the other sources that are um, identified in that grant, or if that's the only source that it can be used for? The grant allocation is for this item. If we choose not to accept the grant and purchase it, that money doesn't belong to SACPD for other uses or the city of Sacramento. It goes back to the, um, the region, and the regional board will make a decision as to what that money is used for. Great. Um, and then, so uh, one of the things that was mentioned during the presentation also is uh, how often it's used. So uh, my understanding is only a few times a year. Can you go into a little more detail? How often is this equipment being used? Um, and is it only being used for extreme incidents, like you know someone's barricaded on a second floor and holding someone hostage, or are there other incidents in where it's used? Um, if you don't mind, I'll bring up Deputy Chief Thank Leong you. because he has the documentation of all the incidents of the call-outs. Appreciate it. So, Council members, um, Mayor, so it's been requested since 2019, 13 times. Three times it did not arrive on time um, for the incident to resolve. The, we anticipate, um, looking back at our average search warrants and other things where the criteria meets where the person could be armed or we're responding to actually an armed subject shooting, uh, that will probably utilize it about 20 times. We limit our use right now because we recognize the Sheriff's Department has to carry the burden of getting staff to come out overnight on our call-outs normally are late in the evening hours, uh, early morning hours. And so they also have their response needs in the county because they cover all the county as well. And because they're only one of, uh, one, the only rook that's been in use up to this point that, uh, that other regions might need it as well. So we only use it when we really, really need it. And, and as the examples I provided, they're usually involving people that are armed or shooting already. Okay. Um, thank you. Okay, thank you. I, I'm probably gonna need you to stay up there only because um, some of my questions are directed on the fact that we don't have a rope. And it was requested, if I heard you correctly, 13 times, of which three times we were late in getting it. What are the consequences, potential consequences, of it being late in getting it? You know, 
It's hard to speculate. You know, I hate to do that because you don't really know how it would resolve. However, um, for the circumstances and the calls in which it was requested, there was certainly a need for it. So without it being there, we just have to find a workaround. Um, and uh, not to say that we don't have, you know, good equipment, but this is just a, a very specialized piece of equipment that we can utilize in very unique circumstances. So unfortunately, I can't say what would have happened if we didn't get it or, you know, because the calls didn't up resolving, but it, I guess to my earlier point, um, being able to have just like the, the right tool for um, what we need is just um, makes us more effective, I think, and more safe, especially because we're really working hard to make a lot of attempts to use as much equipment is, that is available to us to resolve these in a peaceful manner. Do, do you feel if we had one in, in our jurisdiction that we would use it more times? based on the fact that we don't have to borrow it from another enforcement agency? Yeah, absolutely. And if we were to accept the grant and then purchase the Rook, it's actually a regional asset, and so it also supports some of the outside agencies as well. Other regions or other agencies can ask to borrow it from us as well. And, and you spoke earlier about the protection of your officers, and you also talked about the protection of citizens who are being held hostage or victims of domestic violence or other forms that, that, that this is not only just for officers, it's for citizens to keep them as safe as possible. Absolutely. It gives us the ability um, at times, especially in tight quarters, I mean, we work in, you know, a city environment to get closer to buildings, to be able to see inside, to also be able to you know, man manipulate things like windows or blinds or doors so that we can view and see what's going on. Also, if something is happening, um, we're that much closer for a response. And then uh, the final thing I'll ask, and I'll let my colleagues ask the rest of the questions. Um, you talk about Sacramento being uh, at risk for terrorists. And I think I heard the term that we are most at risk for terrorists. We're one of the leading cities in California for being at risk for terrorists. Can you speak to the, the impact, the importance of that or the impact of that? Yeah, actually, if you, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to bring Lieutenant Bowie up because she can speak to that. But that's really the reason that we get the UASI grant funding. It's because we have been identified as, an, as being at risk in our region for a variety of factors. So uh, maybe Craig. Craig is our program manager. He's been working um, on the UASI program for a number of years and is very well versed in it. So to answer your question, um, the Department of Homeland Security uh, risk ranks uh, the top 100 urban areas in the nation, and they use it based on threat, consequence, and also vulnerability. So based on that risk ranking, we, came, we come out, we're the lower end of the food chain as far as funding goes. New York is at number one, they get about 180 million, and then uh, we're, we're at the end of about three million, so, and it's based on the DHS methods. Thank you. Um, there's a speculation that the current equipment that you already have meets all of our needs. And I've heard something different in the presentation. I just would like for you to speak on that. 
It, it certainly meets a lot of our needs, and I appreciate um, council helping us fund um, the two uh, pieces of armored equipment that we have. This is um, a newer piece of technology. You know, we've had the opportunity to see how it actually works by working with the sheriff's office and utilizing it um, by our department. So we know it can be effective, and it does fill a niche. Um, a lot of the things that we said, right? It's not as big. It's much more nimble. Um, it's much lighter, and you know, like in uh, Taro Sullivan's case, you know, we got our, our armored vehicle stuck in that backyard. This, um, you know, performs better under those circumstances and certainly would be an additional option for us. Um, I also know uh, we were talking about um, the incident where uh, rifle rounds were fired at the officers. It created another layer of protection around the house and um, as a barrier between like the larger community behind us as well. So both vehicles, both armored vehicles were used on that call and the Rook, um, you know, and so that created like a ballistic protection, not just for officers, but for everyone behind us. As our police chief, are you telling this governing body that the best use of our funding, the funding, the grant funding that we voted on in September, are you telling this body that the best use of that is for the purchase of this rook? I think for the city of Sacramento and our request to UASI, yes, I think it is a valuable use of the grant funding for us. So, you know, with that, I will be supporting this item. Um, I understand all the people who have spoke on this, but I also understand the value of life and the opportunity to have the equipment when you need it, to not have to borrow a piece of equipment and have to wait for it to get you to work on time or to be able to do the job that you have to do. I will be supporting this. I believe it's something that is needed in order to protect our citizens and our officers and for them to continue to be able to serve and be able to return home to their families. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you very much, Councilmember Jennings. Uh, Vice Mayor Guetta. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, Chief and Norm, I think you get, uh, if you guys don't mind uh, coming back up again. Uh, now, uh, just some clarifying questions here to, to make sure that I understand. You know, when we're asking, that, you know, to accept this grant funding and purchase this, I mean, because today we're, we're, we're actually going into the agreement to purchase it, but. Um, I, my understanding is that there's essentially two buckets in the WASI grant. There's a, a training bucket and then the equipment bucket, and we're applying specifically to access the equipment side of it. Is that correct? Correct. I think there's also a planning um, portion of it. A planning portion. Exercises. And so the but and we have exercised the opportunity to use the training one as well, and we'll continue to apply for training as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's that's an important factor because I've gotten a lot of questions about, well, is this general fund dollars? And if it's not, then uh, if it's grant dollars, why not apply for a different one? So we're applying for what is available for the right type of uh, application. Is that correct? Yes, Council Member. And also, the the Yuwasi Board decides on a bunch of different applications from both fire and police <laughs> requests. They look at the needs of the region the four county regions on what we're missing. And so they authorize equipment based on those needs for the region. Correct, okay, okay, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, so that was, I mean, that's a, a number of the questions that I received from my constituents. The other questions I've, I've received was, um, you, know, you know, just by having it, would it be used indiscriminately? Uh, and um, uh, so my, I guess the question here is, 
It's my understanding that, that you already have now or are working on even further defining a, um, a policy on how to use defensive equipment, equipment that has, uh, the, for example, this one here that has uh, 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 bulletproof protection. Is that correct? So that it wouldn't be just used indiscriminately or just because you have it, you would take it out uh, each time. Because I know there's a question about if we get it, are we really sitting in it in the garage for most of the year or... Uh, and so we should use it all the time versus um, there's a you have a policy that allows you to use it when appropriate and as appropriate. Is that correct? Yep, absolutely. We do have a policy on the use of armored vehicles. Um, that does not currently include the Rook because we don't have the Rook. But if we were to um, move forward on the contract, we would include specific um, applications of the Rook in that policy. And, um, and have you, now this is a question about uh, the Citizens Police Review Commission. Have you discussed and brought that concept of with the Citizens Review Police Review Commission how that would um, move into that policy? Um, well, maybe Norm, do you want to talk to the about the public comment and the um, the outreach that we did earlier? So, as part of the military use equipment, we gone through this process twice, and we had three uh, public community meetings, nighttime, weekend, daytime, uh, weekday, in th three different parts of the city. And as part of the overall military equipment use, there was an ability to talk about armored vehicles and all the other equipment in the policy. However, moving forward, um, we talked about, and I've talked to the chair of the commission, about um, using their skills and their abilities and their contacts to help us conduct community outreach because the military equipment use policy is one that we come back annually on, and the community outreach piece of it is, um, is also a required portion of it, and I think that the commission can help us with that. So we're talking about doing that as we move forward into next year. Well, I'm sorry, to 2023 this year. Well, I, I, as of, you know, I, I think that we've had in the last meeting had a conversation about better utilizing our citizens commissions, not just the police commission, but better utilizing our other boards and commissions. So uh, I know we have uh, one member of the commission, I think the vice chair here today, but I encourage you to reach out to the chair of the commission and discuss that policy um, uh, moving forward here. Uh, the 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 last thing here, um, you know, that I have is my understanding uh, of the equipment is uh, we have to wait for approval from the sheriff's department before we even can use it, and uh, and you only request it when you f when you identify a situation that you need that surgical, tactical, or or necessity for it. Is that correct? That's correct. So so that is the the time delay that the concern is is that when. And a situation arises that then you have that other layer of bureaucracy to be able to get mutual aid. That's correct. And then they call in their own staff to um, you know come in and drive the equipment to wherever we are, and then um, you know um, then deploy the equipment. Oh, so it's not use. even SAC PD that's going to then be managing that equipment. We have we'll have another layer of oversight for staff at that point. Um, no, currently we go through the sheriff's office and they use their staff to bring the equipment out and to, you know, drive it off the trailer. We would be training um, our staff to do that, which would um, increase, I think, our ability to get it out into the field in a more timely manner. I know we're improving our relationships with the county and continue to do this so, but I just, I find that sometimes it can be problematic, particularly in a, in a quick situation. So um, the, the, the last question I have here. Yeah, or no, and this is not actually a question. This is actually more, uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but 
you know, we've had a, a number of hostage situations, at least in my council district, uh, the, the hostage situation over on Florin Perkins, um, and uh, where he had a shooter barricaded in in, in there, you know, in a rural area where where I think the, my understanding this equipment has tracks on there, so it, it manages better on, on paved surfaces. Um, but, um, uh, but my concern, I think, is with the one that happened uh, right next to my house as well, right by my house, right there. We're in the, on, I live off of 58th Street, and um, you know, the, the concern that I had while the, the situation resulted in a positive one where you know, no one, there's no loss of life, you were able to have the person um, you know, leave and, and, uh, and uh, uh, the situation, and, uh, and it did take a long time. But the, I do agree that there is concern about how people feel when there is lack of or not enough communication with residents. And so as far as process improvement, uh, that, uh, that particular scenario, and again, you know, it, they happen at different times of day. I think this one happened at 2 in the morning when, uh, when, when police was called out that the person was being held hostage. Uh, in the house, but there needs to be a better, uh, a, you know, process, particularly if you do have this equipment out there and how people respond to it and why it's there. I mean, people are just curious, uh, and that took a long time. So I guess have you, given that situation that occurred, and I brought it up to our, our regional captain, has there been discussion about when this equipment is used, how you communicate with the public? Yeah, actually, I appreciate you bringing that up because one of the callers had the same concern about the 58th Street um, incident. And, uh, you know, the call started early in the morning one day, and you're right, it didn't resolve until early, early in the morning hours. And so initial outreach was done to the neighborhood to let them know that, you know, that there was some activity um, there. But we didn't send the Everbridge notification out until the morning. And when we did the follow-up and we debriefed that, we realized that that um, was a gap, and we need to do that quicker. And so moving forward, we're going to make sure to use um, our technology to notify residents sooner. And that came up directly um, as a concerned citizen through the captain and through me. And so I appreciate the feedback, and we have made that change. And then the last final question that I have that I understood, and I want to make sure that, that, this, is, that this is correct. Uh, now, now this, you're requesting support of the council um, that this tool is used to reduce direct dangerous confrontations that could result in, in, um, uh, in more one-on-one -on -one confrontation. That, you're, that the intent of this is really to uh, create um, uh, another tool for de-escalation to be able to provide protection, but it but to avoid that direct confrontation. Is that Absolutely, right? yes. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, Mr. Mayor, I, uh, I'll be supporting this item after those questions, but I do have a, a question for the city attorney uh, because we discussed this, I think, the last time this item came up related to equipment, but um, I want to make sure there have been a lot of questions, um, and maybe this also needs to be an item uh, for the city attorney's office to be uh, with, the, with the Citizens Police Review Commission, that we are in compliance for with AB uh, 481. And I do believe that it's in, in your role as the charter officer um, that looks at are we in compliance with the law, uh, I want to make sure that that's clear, that we are in compliance with 481, and that, this, that when we vote on things, that that threshold has been met. Is that, is that correct in this case? And Madam yes. City Attorney? Yes, Vice Mayor. Um, the city actually was one of the first cities and one of the first uh, governments in the region to uh, comply with AB uh, 41, now codified in the government code, and adopt a military use policy by ordinance. 
Um, that was on December 14th, 2021. And uh, thereafter, the, the police department brought an annual review of it in September of 2022. And that's where they added it and amended uh, the pursuit of a grant for Rook funding and the council did approve that. And so the city is in compliance. I think the next annual review or the term is coming up in uh, 2023. And we do, uh, our office does work closely. Um, Senior Deputy City Attorney Emilio Camacho advises the police department on this. So we have been involved in reviewing to make sure we are following all the requirements. Well, thank you. And I, I do appreciate Mr. Camacho. His, his, he's done great work, particularly on code issues and quality of life issues for the community. So I appreciate that. Uh, before this item comes back to council, I think it'd be important for the city attorney to um, at least have that conversation with uh, the Citizens Police Review Commission or members of the commission. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, <clears throat> Vice Mayor. Uh, Councilmember Kaplan. Um, thank you, my colleagues. I really want to thank Vice Mayor uh, Eric Guerra. You must have been reading my notes and asking many of the same questions that I had. Um, just a couple of clarifications. I'm new. We hear a lot about acronyms, but can you tell me a little bit who's on the UASI board? Like, is it just Sac City that's on the board? No. When you talk about region, I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm fully understanding of who makes those decisions. Absolutely. Uh, Lieutenant Bowie? Hi. Okay, so the uh, Urban Area Working Group um, represent, we have 19 representatives, I'm sorry, representatives from 19 agencies in our four-county region. Um, and um, they help to prioritize the training, exercise, and equipment needs in our entire uh, four-county region. Um, and there's a steering committee, which is a subset of the UAG, um, they review all the equipment requests and um, determine the needs for the region, um, and they're mindful of the um, balancing the training equipment and um, exercise needs for all of the 80 agencies that are represented in the four-county region, as well as the communities that they serve. So if each of the 80 agencies can put forth something and say, these are the items we want funded, right? And so this, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm understanding this, then the steering committee looks at it. Um, does it get data and facts and background when it's look assessing what they're gonna say, yes, you can use the grant for? Correct. So the, the, um, the urban area working group will talk about what the priorities are for their different areas. And that's where the steering committee will decide where the equipment, the training and exercises need to be focused on. So let's say if the city of Sacramento said, I need a new armored vehicle, it's they have to provide their ask for facts and data and like the why, not just we want this because just give it to us. Correct, correct. Okay. Um, one of the other things, Chief, um, following up a little bit on our vice mayor questions, I. I uh, second his on, we do have to do things differently as being open and honest and transparent. And I know that will not happen overnight. I appreciate your leadership in saying that this is where you wanna go and knowing that it takes time. Um, I'm gonna hold you to your word on that. I'll stand by you and how we can increase that transparency because we do have to work on relationships on both sides. 
you know, of seeing individuals as human beings, because it is important for me that um, those who criticize feel like they are heard, but it is just as important that with our officers, um, the proliferation of guns, no matter how strong California's laws are, how we can create more of an environment where it's protect but hands off. And um, I appreciate Councilmember Jennings' questions for you because for me, this is about how do we have more of a hands off, protect public safety on both sides, um, but be as transparent as possible, knowing we do need to um, improve the relationship. There, it, the, it has been broken, the system has kind of broken, um, and what those next steps look like, but I do support um, this coming for discussion in front of the Police Review Commission and hoping that we do more transparency. One of the things that um, I would love to get more clarity on is the policy and how is the policy the same as the armored vehicle versus the rook um, and what is defined as critical you know to make it very clear like this is not something that is used for protests or used for you know cleanups at what point is the trigger and that the community and those that care and really want to know know so that they can also hold us accountable if we and you as a police force um, approve a policy that you stick to that policy um, one of the things I hope you also do if the council does approve this it would be good to understand you talked about debriefing what have you learned um, and and I think that's really important where we talk as to the extent that we can um, as open and as transparent as possible of what have we learned what are we changing does the policy need to change do we need to look at things better um, because when, I think we have a constant cycle of learning at what we're doing, looking at the data, how can we improve that, and we're as open as possible. It's another way to um, improve relationships. And I will just go back and emphasize communication, communication, communication. Good communication, bad communication. Um, I'm hoping we can be as, as transparent as possible, but uh, like my fellow two colleagues, um, I'm putting some faith in you. We have a lot of work to do. So I will be approving this, um, but I will be watching um, because I believe there needs to be that balance of accountability and transparency. You're absolutely Thank you. right. Thank, Thank you. you. A couple final comments and questions, if I might. Um, first of all, um, I know that I've been, over the course of the last several months, in conversation with the leadership of the, uh, of the Police Review Commission. And I know this issue of, um, the implementation and the use of military equipment, all uh, military equipment, is um, a key priority of the commission. And I do think regardless of how this vote goes tonight, there is an opportunity uh, for the commission to really weigh in, for example, on this question of, of the equipment's limitations. And that sort of gets to my set of questions that I want to ask you. First of all, I think we ought to acknowledge that um, these issues are always difficult. They're controversial and they're emotional. And especially, you know, in light of what occurred in our nation in Memphis, Tennessee over, over the past week. And so it's always hard um, for me to take sort of the emotion out of it and try to be analytical because to me, there's always a balance to be had here. And so the balance for me is this. Um, is the purchase of this equipment with non-city funds um, 
going to protect and save lives balanced against whether or not there is a risk that the equipment can be misused in a way that would harm the community. That's the balance. So I want to ask a couple questions along, along those lines here. Um, is it a defensive uh, vehicle? In other words, does it have any ammunition capability, for example, or is it just a caterpillar, as you described, that can maneuver into spaces to to retrieve people who are either the suspects or, or, or the victims? Um, it is essentially um, a caterpillar with a shield on the front of it. We can... But it doesn't have a gun turret. It does not have a gun turret or anything on the side. It's not. No, it's not armed. It's not armed. And it, it's not armed. With a shield on the front? Well, Okay. Officers, officers have guns. That's correct. But the vehicle itself. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm. I'm going. I'm going to ask. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. So. I. I. am going to ask you all to leave if you interrupt the proceeding. And I haven't had to do this since my first year as mayor, and I really don't want to do it again. But if, but if you insist on interrupting the proceedings, you've had a chance to speak, and don't allow me to have the dialogue with my police chief, then I'm going to ask you to leave. And if you continue, I'm going to make you leave. Respect for the process, please. We can agree and disagree. Thank so, you. So, Mayor, this photo, the, the, one, the yellow one is a commercial front loader. The other one is the Rook and it has attachments to the front. One of the attachments that's unique about the Rook is it has a uh, ballistic panel that allows the officers to get on a platform with ballistic shielding to be able to be raised up and elevated as needed. Okay. And you have cited um, a number of examples where um, the use of the county borrowed equipment has saved lives. I wonder if you could reiterate again, because it was a most recent example of what happened with the threats to some of our council members by a particular individual, I understand is still in jail. How was the Rook, the county Rook, used in that instance, please? We actually didn't use the Rook on that um, particular instance. We used both of our armored vehicles. We okay. used our drones. Um, and we did not use the rook. You didn't that. use the rook, but you used the larger version of the. Yeah, and what I was trying to demonstrate is that, you know, it's not just one piece of equipment that works for us. These calls typically require, especially the really complicated calls, um, require, you know, a variety of different tools. And we try and use all tools that are available to us. We don't just call out and SWAT and say, oh, SWAT will handle it. You know, it's hostage negotiations. It's the drones and okay, our pilots. But I, so. I want to know that instance again, because yeah. it's so fresh in my mind. Yeah. I was one of the people, less so than my other colleagues, but mentioned in the, uh, in, you know, in the documents and in the court documents uh, as being threatened by this individual. What, what was the use of the equipment? That's what I want to know. The use of the equipment was to take the individual into custody safely. Because, and and why, why did you need to use it? Uh, the equipment? Yes. To, to, in order to do that. And so, you know, obviously we always 
try and get compliance, um, but if someone doesn't want to comply and we do need to take them to custody, then we refer and use a number of our tools to try and reduce any physical confrontation um, between officers and community members because ultimately we want to take the person into custody safely with no harm to them or to the community or to our officers. So that's we why we use all of that okay. stuff. To re-ask Councilmember Jennings' question and, and and using the language of the statute that Councilmember Valenzuela cited, one of the criteria is that the equipment must be necessary with there being no reasonable alternative. In the three instances in which you could not access the county's uh, rook, what was the consequence or the risk at least? And what was the end result of those, of those three situations? So the end result was uh, in two of those circumstances, the person surrendered um, ultimately before the rook arrived. In one of the other ones, the person jumped out a window and was taken in custody by officers. In two of those incidents, there was, gun, uh, there was a gun involved. Um, and in the other one, the person uh, committed a violent crime. And Mayor, can I uh, reiterate the example of where this, this tool protects community lives. In the one example I talked about where we used the rook, the county rook, to uh, ram the front door and then the suspect shot at officers, ultimately the subject retreated, but ultimately it was taken safely into custody by surrendering. So had the officers been up front banging with a hand ram to get in that door, they would have been taking uh, shots and they would have returned fire to protect themselves. In this case, they had the armor to protect them. They could sit back communicate with the suspect to get him to surrender. And of the 19 times it was used last year, as you have reviewed its usage, were there any times where it was used in a way that you considered to be violation of policy? Not that I'm So it's 13 times yeah, uh, 13. No, oh, since 2019, and no, they were all within policy. Is it... Um, in terms of uh, if we approve this tonight, as we move forward, um, is it the intent to further define the limitations of the use of the equipment in a way that would um, ensure that it was only used as a defensive, as a defensive piece of equipment as, as opposed to being used in any kind of, um, in, in any kind of offensive way? Yes, we will develop the policy based on best practices. We do need to expand our current policy because we currently do not have a rook policy. Okay, so I, I, I would say that uh, several things. Number one, if this is approved tonight, I would request, and maybe it could even be part of the motion, I don't think it would be controversial, that um, there be a, a report back, uh, a report back to uh, the city council. I'm not necessarily asking for another, another vote, but a report back to the council and the community uh, around the specific limitations of the use of the new equipment. And secondly, that every time it is used, that there be a, a, a relative immediate report to the council and the community about after the fact about how, how it was used and in what circumstance. I think those would be two prudent, two prudent um, ways to go forward. And of course, on the former, to work with the police review commission as they weigh in appropriately on the appropriate use of all uh, 
so-called military equipment, I think the term is really unfortunate, by the way, yeah. um, all, all military equipment, uh, including this item, if it's approved tonight. Yeah, okay. per, yeah, per 481, we're actually required to, we're required to come back, we're required to come back annually. Thank you. Uh, we're required to come back uh, annually and report on the usage, which is why we have actually a very comprehensive report about all of the usages. But what we, we can do is we can expand on that. I'm saying as it as as being as occurs, used, if, an incident, yes. if an incident occurs, let us know. Yeah, we can find uh, a, the we've got a really robust transparency okay. page and we can work on that. Rick, and I think that's part Jimmy. of your motion or part of what you just added is the immediate community that's being used in, that communication go out to them as in the caller who called here right tonight, away, right away is appropriate. Right away, to, if that be written within the policy that you're speaking of, so that that community has the knowledge of knowing what happened and, and why it happened. As Dr. Kofer's testimony, which you responded to in saying that as you look back on that, that's one you would correct going forward in terms. So let's build that into the policy. But I'm also saying that the policymakers and, and the public should know within a reasonable period of time after the fact, when it's used. That's it, it's transparency. Okay, so I would request that that be part of any of any motion that's reasonable. Is, okay. Okay? Thank you. All right, members, is there a motion? Second. Second. Okay, with the, with the, with two, the changes. With the two additions that I, I just made. Okay, um, let us call the roll, please. Thank you, that was a motion by Councilmember Talamantes and a second by Vice Mayor Guerra. Councilmember Kaplan? Aye. Councilmember Laloi? Aye. Councilmember Talamantes? Aye. Councilmember Valenzuela? No. Councilmember Maple? Aye. Vice Mayor Guerra? Aye. Councilmember Jennings? Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Vang? No. And Mayor Steinberg? Aye. All right, that passes seven to two. Thank you all very, very much. More work to do. Thank you. All right. All right, members, that concludes the agenda tonight. Are, is there public testimony and items not on the agenda, Madam Clerk? Yes, Mayor, I have um, five speakers. First is Julie Verga. Okay. Hold on, we're, we're gonna wait just a, we're gonna wait just a minute until the chamber's clear. I said you wanted to meet Brooke, and then you all said, sure, let's go with the Brooke. Yeah, they could have chose anything else. Sure, they had to make that decision earlier, but they made that decision and you said, I know a couple of people have left. Um, our speakers are Ju Julie Verga, Athena Pagano, Daniel Savala. Um, please come forward if I read your name. Julie, Athena, Daniel Savala, Yelena, or Judy Esquera Sheldon. Good evening, members of the council. It's a pleasure to be here since COVID. It's my first time and thankful for that long um, presentation today because I was 
about to break the first rule in public speaking is, you know, addressing the body when I'm angry or frustrated. But as you can see from my attire, I'm at home with the kids, and there's another fire on Del Paso Boulevard. I'm just frustrated, frustrated and angry. Angry because for over the last two years, many of you have seen me on the news, many of you have seen me come and call in, and we desperately need to address the vacant buildings that we have along Del Paso Boulevard. I've, I've asked this body via email, via social media, and the news of how many vacant spaces we have along Del Paso Boulevard and what the impact is uh, to the businesses around it who are struggling to survive coming out of COVID. Since May, I've been reporting to the, to the City Code Enforcement Department on so the SoCal Speed Shop next to a crown jewel on Del Paso Boulevard, that is King Kong Brewery, that I know many of you love and enjoy and have been there multiple times. My, my, my call was simple. The building owner, I'm the director of the, the PBID. I've got the property owner's phone number. He's, he's not here. He's not responsive. He doesn't, his building is being ransacked. Fires are being lit. I need the building secure. Nothing has happened. Nothing. Tonight, the building catches on fire, and here I am. What's, what's it going to take to finally address the vacant buildings along Del Paso Boulevard? How do we support our code enforcement officers and give them the tools that they need to go after property owners that we know don't care about Del Paso Boulevard? I'm speaking tonight for the Kong Nguyen and his family who've got their life savings invested in their business, for John uh, across the street at Little Joe's who got his retirement invested in Little Joe's who are doing everything they can to make it on Del Paso Boulevard. I'd love to see something come. I'd love Mayor and the City Council, Councilman Lully, to work with the Del Paso Boulevard District. Let's craft an ordinance that finally addresses vacant buildings. Thank you all tonight. And welcome um, to the Council. Let me do one more check for Chambers. Julie Verga, Athena Pagano, Yelena, Judy Esquire Sheldon. I don't see those, so we'll go okay. online. I have two people with their hands raised. Thank you. Okay, come on up. Right, I've never used this before. What is this? I hope you guys can read this. Please post it to the whatever. My name is Judy Esguerra Sheldon. Judy, if you'll talk to the microphones, we can't hear you unless you're at a microphone. My see this yes we can you can see that these notices and orders for my property were served to the Sacramento suburban water district as the owner of my property owner of record where water district does not own my property it's not a clerical error my name is Judy Esguerra Sheldon it is my right as well as all property owners rights to appeal code violation orders on August 11, 2020, I received a notice and order which instructed me to contact the building inspector supervisor, supervisor to schedule an inspection, advise me on how to apply for building permits generally, and cited me specifically and only for a non-permitted building structure, an unfinished front porch. So that's one building violation. There were 21 inspections between August 10, 2020, I'm so mad, and April 16, 2021. And in that time, I received just one notice and order. And then the city attorney requested 
receivership. And I had already given access to the building inspector and asked him in February for a specific list of violations, which I never got. I mean, per due process. I did get it on the, I mean, oh, by the way, here's a list of the violations. And you're, pro you're prohibited from doing repairs. So basically, it's a felony to fabricate documents in a legal proceeding. So I wanted the, you guys to know officially, everyone, even though I've been emailing parts of the body. That's it. I'm not good at this. So I you're, you're doing you're, you're doing fine. We have our assistant city <laughs> so, manager, Michael Jasso, back there. And I, I'd like you to go back, if you would, please, to meet with him. Maybe we can help you and sort of... I hope so. Talk through this, okay? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do our very well, best. Well, your building department created the mess. Your city attorney created the mess. I think okay. you guys could clean up the mess. I know I cleaned up my house. Let us see if we thank can you. be of assistance. All right, thank you. Thank you. So um, I don't believe Julie Verga is here, Athena Pagano, and Yelena. Thank you. Okay. So online I have two speakers. The first is Flo Kofer, then Colin User 3. You are, I'm sorry. I think somebody is here. What is your name, ma'am? My name Elena. Uh, woman. Sorry, she doesn't speak English. It's okay. She will um, read it in our own language and then I will translate. I will try my best to translate. Okay, that, that is fine. What is, okay. could you give us the name, please? Um, it's woman Elena. She's woman Elena. Okay, so this is one of the Elena, people. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. And we'll, you'll get double time for the translation, okay? Thank you. you we go appreciate ahead. appreciate that. Добрый вечер. Мы живые души, советские человеки. И здесь нет ничего криминального. Мы рады, что стоим здесь среди широкой публики и в обществе мужчин и женщин и можем выразить нашу волю. Наша история будет быстрой. Мы просто поручаем городскому совету и мэру экстренно вернуть нам сворованного реального человека, живую душу, духовную женщину. Мы уверены, что люди не будут равнодушны и поддержат нас. Кому интересна наша грустная история, могут посмотреть ее на канале Living People на площадке YouTube. Человек, человека украли против ее воли и нашей тоже. Это недопустимо. Насильственным способом это должно быть быстро исправлено, и человека должны вернуть в семью по существу. Мы 12 лет были инвесторами, вкладчиками и поддерживали экономику штата Калифорния и США. И наша воля, через 72 часа наш человек должен будет взят из заложников, обнаружен и будет стоять и должен будет стоять около домашнего очага вместе с нами. Наше имущество было атаковано несправедливо, и мы остались без средств к существованию. Мы хотели добавить 
в протокол этого митинга некоторые уведомления и письменные поручения дополнительно. А наша воля должна быть исполнена, 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 без ущерба всех прав. Спасибо за ваше драгоценное время. Не забываем, что человек – высшая ценность. И, пожалуйста, служите на благо человечества. Спасибо. Good evening. Um, we're living soul Soviet people and there is nothing criminal here. We're glad that we stand among the general public and in um, society or community of men and women and can express our will volition. Our story will be fast. We instruct the city council and the mayor to urgently return to us the stolen, real, human living soul, spiritual woman We're sure that people will not be indifferent and will support us. Who is interested in our sad story? Uh, you can watch it on the YouTube channel, Living People. Um, a real human being was stolen against our will, volition, by force. Uh, this should be quickly corrected and um, humans should be returned to the family in the essence. We have been investors and um, savers and for 12 years we have supported the economy of the California and US, USA. Um, our will in 72 hours that our human will be taken from the hostage and will be put back with us um, near the heart. Our property was attacked um, and we were left without a livelihood. We wanted to add some notification and written instruction to the record Got of this. Um, our will should be or must be done, 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 or executed, executed, executed without prejudice to all the rights. Thanks for your precious time. Okay. And please don't forget that human is the highest value and please serve for the benefit of humanity. Okay, thank you so much for coming tonight. We, we, we appreciate it. We appreciate your Thank time. you. Okay. Our next speaker is Flo Kofer. Um, following Ms. Kofer is call in user three and that will be the callers for this evening. Good evening again, Mayor and Council Members. I am calling to offer comments on the Measure U meeting cancellation. I was unable to join my colleagues last week and wanted to lift this up um, for all of your attention. As the past chair of the Measure U Community Advisory Committee, I was disappointed to learn that the January meeting of the committee was canceled by the clerk, reportedly due to lack of quorum. The decision was a departure from how the clerk previously interpreted City Code 2.40.060 regarding continued service of members with expiring terms until the seats were filled. Furthermore, members of the committee were not given prior notice of this change. The committee's last meeting was in November, and because there isn't another one scheduled until March, this leaves the committee with an unplanned four-month disruption of its work. Further compounding this issue is that the council passed a policy requiring that all existing ad hocs, including the one overseeing the participatory budgeting pilot project, expire on December 31st, 2022. And in compliance with the new city policy, our committee sent a request to PMPE on September 20th of 2022 
for the council to establish subcommittees required under the new structure that were needed to continue the committee's essential functions. In response to the request, city staff cited that they're unable to establish the subcommittees before the ad hocs expired. No time frame was given as to when that would be addressed. The impact of passing a new policy without planning for implementation, combined with the decision to cancel the January meeting, has caused unnecessary and preventable disruption of key work of the committee, including next steps for the pilot project that was approved and funded by the council. For these reasons, I'm joining my former colleagues and new members of the Measure U Community Advisory Committee to ask that the council move to immediately approve the Measure U Committee's request for subcommittees that was set three months before the planned expiration of ad hocs, approve a special meeting of the Measure U Committee in February 2023, and that the council additionally take action to revise city code to ensure that expiring members with expiring terms can, are assumed to hold over until replaced by official action of the committee, and revise city code to establish a process for canceling meetings due to, decor, to, due to quorum. Thank you Thank for you. your comments. Our next speaker is Colin User 3. If you'll unmute. Yes, this is uh, Lambert of To the Bay and Back Cheesecakes. And after attending a workshop last week during the city council, I learned about the log and how many days certain items are on there. Some of them were 700 and something days. And then, as you know, uh, our cheesecakes have gone viral, not only here, but in the Bay Area. And we still haven't received any outreach from uh, the city manager's office during an incredible run, actually. And so as I looked at the... Um, what I just talked about, the log, I, and also the millennials that are behind me, they have said, and I agree, that the city manager's report is on the, law, is on the agenda longer than any item I've ever studied that's not being enforced. So this year, we're going to focus in on who's responsible for something that's on the agenda and not enforcing it. And I believe it's the attorney general, I mean, the attorney, city attorney, unless she can explain how an item can be agendized and never enforced, rarely enforced. I want to hear the city manager's report. Uh, I believe that if you're the highest paid and you have five assistant city managers and five assistant divisions, I would like to hear that report. As a taxpayer and as a person that waited till the end, I also want to thank whoever, I'll start with the mayor, whoever gave Grand High School football team a parade, that was a wonderful gesture. Now they need to get summer jobs, Yipsy, and they need to get tickets to go see the Sacramento Kings. They're winners. They're an example of champions. There's no champions in Sacramento winning at all. There's no record of that other than Grant Payton. Thank you for your comments. Your time is complete. Mayor, I have no more speakers. Okay. Um, before I get, excuse me, before I get to council uh, ideas and questions, Mr. City Manager, do you have a report, City Manager's report? I do not. Thank you. All right. 
Uh, council ideas and questions. Uh, Councilmember Valenzuela. Thank you. Um, I have a question for the city manager um, that he may or may not be able to answer tonight, so we'll defer to the city attorney. Um, there are several items pending on the log related to homelessness, the um, weather response, winter sanctuary, um, the status of our partnership agreement, implementation of Measure O, and I was just wondering if you had a timeline on when we could expect those items to come back to council. I could provide a report back to the council on that, so I'll take a look at that. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Sierra 2 Park and Curtis Park is going to have a meeting on potential renovations. And that's going to take place on Thursday, February the 9th, once again, February, 30, uh, February the 9th, from 5 to 6 p.m. And the city will be hosting an online Zoom meeting to review the survey results with the community. Staff will be there to discuss the survey results and next steps and we'll be soliciting feedback from all the constituents in the Curtis Park and Sierra 2 Park area. If you'd like to get some advanced information, you can go to sacramentocityexpress.com, search for Curtis Park renovations, and it will take you to the Sacramento City Express website with the Zoom link. Once again, that's sacramentocityexpress.com, Search for Curtis Park Renovations, and it'll take you to the City Express webpage. So we look forward to the community participating. Sierra 2 Park has been um, an area of opportunity and controversy, and we want to do as much as we can to make that park something that the community loves and will support. Thank you, Mayor. Real quickly, um, I know Mr. Savala's comment about vacant buildings. I know Councilmember Lalowy has raised this, I believe. Councilmember Valenzuela and others, I may be wrong, but I think a lot of folks have raised this. I'd like to have a council workshop on vacant buildings. Yes. I, I think it is a, excuse me, and vacant land. Vacant buildings and vacant land. I want to have a workshop. And, and by the way, it could Staff be the- actually already has the presentation ready for that. So What's that? They're ready for you. Who's that? Yeah, we just got a briefing. They've done all the research. I love so. it. And this could be, I know we still- We're going are... to bring it to Law & Ledge, but we'll take full okay. counsel makes sense. Okay, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, my thinking here is that um, the council plans to have a, a lot of strategic discussions about priorities for the year, and that's really important. But I, un I can tell you without even having to do that, that housing is going to be a major council priority because it already is and so I'd like us to have a series of workshops where we tackle the affordable housing issues in our community by the way where we've made a lot of progress but have a lot more work to do and I think a great place to start is the blight associated with under um, with vacant buildings and vacant land that is not kept up. That's not true of all vacant buildings, not true of all vacant land, but where it's not kept up in ways that are a blight to the community, we need to deal with that. And so let's have a workshop in the month of February. Let's work with uh, city management and uh, city clerk and uh, make that a good couple hour session, maybe in an afternoon. And uh, let, let some good policy and direction come out of that. Okay? Oh, I got more people. I'm sorry. Council member, members, Council member Lilloli. 
Thank you very much. But I had the last word here, you know. You, you, you hit on a topic that hit a nerve, Sorry. right? <laughs> so um, um, I completely agree with you, and I think um, time is of an essence on, on this particular topic. Because one of the major biggest issues we have is these empty lots. So I would urge uh, Mr. City Manager, whenever you think that workshop can be put together, if we can expedite it, I would be I would greatly appreciate it because it is important and we really need to come up with a better solution uh, to take care of some of these vacant lots, especially the ones that are owned by the city in my district. So we can we should find the city heavily trying to like make it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Councilmember Talamantes. Uh, I just want to end the meeting congratulating the vice mayor on being appointed to the California Air Resources Board. So congratulations, Eric. That's wonderful. <laughs> congratulations, vice mayor. It's ter that's, that's terrific. Thank you for mentioning that. Okay. Nothing else to come before the City Council this evening. We are adjourned. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>